This piece of content is brought to you by the Zima Blade, a tiny computer that you can turn into an NAS server, media player, retro console, or frankly, whatever you want it to be. Click the links in the description to support the channel and get one of these devices for just $64. But also support the channel by using Broken Salecon to get discounts on Windows keys at cdkeyalpha.com and on Vite Ramen at the links below. And we'll talk more about those sponsors later, but for now, let's just get on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and today I am joined, as always, for a news episode by my co-host, Dan. How is it going, Dan? Uh, pretty good, I suppose. How how are you doing, Tom? Well, you know, I'm tired, and I'll... Yeah, I guess I'll just say it now. It's because I put out a meteor-like video on a Sunday evening, which I never do, really, <laughs> but... It was one of those things where news broke uh, in the past 24 hours where I was like, well, I I have to dig into this or we can't really do the episode tonight because I was actually planning to leak Meteor Lake Cinebench in details uh, (laughs) connected to Meteor Lake in this Mm -hmm. podcast is, of course, you know, Dan, because you helped me plan the episodes. And I was like, well, some of this stuff seems to directly contradict not just what I've said, but what everyone has said <laughs> for the past six months. <laughs> everyone reputable. Obviously, there's the people that just make stuff up. Um, and if I don't basically do a full video's worth of research, I don't know that we're really equipped to do this episode. And while I was doing it, I was like, yeah, I kind of have a full video's worth of information here. <laughs> and, you know... We'll get into it later, but I've watched several, and almost all of them Intel-related leaks come out this year that were just absolute bullshit. I mean, just (laughs) like complete nonsense. And I thought, I'm just not going to talk about it because I'm tired. But then there were like months and months of having to like answer a reader mail every other broken cell kind of going, nope, that's fake. Nope, that's fake. fake." And again, we're going to cover some of that here because... A lot of that fake stuff's now officially debunked just by time proving things wrong. Um, but yeah, so I, I basically had to put out a video before now, and uh, I am tired, but I guess ready to do the episode. I guess, I suppose. <laughs> I guess time does tend to ferret out most BS, Tom. <laughs> it does. Well, you know, and what's another, again, getting ahead of ourselves here, we'll talk about the Xbox FTC stuff as well. But I saw people say, I can't wait to see what happens to you in like five or 10 years. And I'm like, honestly, guys, that is one of those things that's so far away that I think we'll know before then, honestly. But if we don't, I don't know what your point really is, (laughs) like saying what's (laughs) going to happen in five years, you know? Yeah, your (laughs) video about what you think the state of the current market is based on FTC leaks. I, I don't know what everything is going to look like in five to ten years. Maybe Microsoft takes a massively different trajectory of where they are right now. Five years is a lot of time. Spark writes in and says, hey, Tom, a few months ago, I wrote in saying that I had a wager with a random Internet person 
that no AAA game would require a ray tracing capable card in five years. So remember this, this person said when Turing launched, which you can believe it, Dan, Turing launched almost exactly five years ago, which is just crazy to realize. Um, he made a bet online with somebody that you say ray tracing is the future, and maybe it is, but there will not be a single AAA game in five years that requires ray tracing to run it. And uh, the guy won the bet. He says those five years are up. I've received my Gigabyte RTX 4070 gift wrap from Amazon. A special thank you to NVIDIA for releasing ray tracing before the hardware was fully there to support it. And five years later, the minority of gamers actually use it still. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there there are some specific variants of games that I think require ray tracing. So if you want right, to go for but, a technicality, I guess, but yeah. But no well, yeah, game. but you don't need it to play Metro Exodus. You don't need yeah, it to play Cyberpunk, you know. I mean, I think anybody that was placing bets that the few everything will be ray traced by 2023 is kind of crazy. I mean, I think I think it was pretty obvious uh in 2018 uh that ray tracing wasn't was a bit undercooked when it came out and even ampere was when i was like all right this is kind of a thing now and now with mm -hmm. lovelace i feel like it's finally a real feature even though uh, <laughs> that'll be a later story but eh, full path tracing as it turns out takes a lot of hardware so or takes a lot of power so yeah and i can't help but think like a lot of developers and just kind of analysts behind the scenes that i talk to about this say we're still like 10 years away from this really being done. Like the idea, oh, yeah. you know, like you, I guess you want everything to support it now just in case, like it's nice to have in case you need it. But the idea that like raster will not be the main dictating factor in choosing which graphics card you get is still uh, most people I talk to think that's a decade away. Yeah. I mean, the only, the only way I, I, I really think it would become a factor before that is just if raster performance becomes such a joke to discuss that it's only worth discussing ray tracing, even if not everything is fully path traced yet. <laughs> I th I do think for that to happen, we would need another doubling of performance. I think, I think yeah. Blackwell, I think I've said this for a while. I expect Blackwell to be like 40, 70%, like not as big as Lovelace, but probably a little bigger than Ampere, if not comparable. And I think we would need that, and then we would also need that to be felt across an entire stack. So you'd have to have a situation where the 5090 is below 2 gram and double a 4090, and the 5080 is well beyond 4090 performance, around 1,000. You know, you yeah. have a 70 card that's below 700 that is, again, probably close to 4090 performance or, be or be a little better, and all the way down, even down to, like, APUs, I think, We'd want APUs where, like, let me look here, seven, eight, well, they don't always get the numbers right. Like the Phoenix is kind of around a 1650. So I'm saying we, I'd even want to see APUs that are about the performance of like a 2060. Like, and re, like just once that happens, like even APUs have like 2060 performance or better. Mm -hmm. That That's when I'd go, yeah, we're, we're getting to that point. And I mean, like, the cheaper ones. I don't mean Strixalo for everybody listening. Like I know that will be better than that, but that's also not the typical thing that will be in cheap laptops. So, um, Sisyphos writes in and asks, "Hi, Tom and guest, would Stan? Not a question, more of a thank you. 
I really enjoyed the latest episode of Die Shrink 107 with Carbon Cry, especially the parts on differences between AMD and NVIDIA ray tracing and Intel and AMD CPU and ring bus and stuff. I'm yet again pleasantly surprised at how knowledgeable people in this community are. Would love to see more in-depth discussions on similar topics. Thank you. And, you know, I will just use this as a chance to do a shameless plug for the <laughs> Moore's Laws Dead Discord. Um, I actually had many people reach out to us uh, today, Dan, including uh, some of my people I talked to in in the industry who are veterans that said they even listened to the die shrink. We just did 108 and said that was a really good die shrink. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. <laughs> so the last one, the jury's out. Very good. And then the one before that was a two-hour conversation with uh, really the head contributor to Moore's Law said Carbon Cry. Um, and there's there's a lot of great content out there if you have $2 a month for uh, the Patreon. So just want to make sure everyone knows about that as this is a lot of work, especially when I have to ram out a video during my Sunday evening like I did for story number one. Meteor-like performance, bogus desktop rumors, and release date confirmed. Over the past week, there has been a flurry of Meteor-like info drops that did everything from leak the lineup to officially confirm the release date, which is December 14th. But also, there were some bogus headlines about Intel doing a full 8 plus 16 core successor to Raptor-like refresh. Presumably, I guess, I don't know, early next year is when it would have to be. <laughs> that was disproved <laughs> by this channel. In summary... Yes, Meteor Lake will have desktop NUX and possibly an LGA 1851 release, but that would be a release for some 6 plus 8 i5, not really a full desktop generation. And this was something leaked by this channel a year ago, that there could be an i5 on LGA 1851. To this day, multiple Moore's Laws dead sources and dozens of other leakers on Twitter, by the way. By the way, when these headlines appeared, I saw Kepler charlie from semi-accurate like dozens of people saying this isn't true um <laughs> saying that meteor like max is at at six plus eight cores and actually this channel also has meteor like scores showing marginal at best performance increases over after lake with a six plus eight model that scored 7300 in cinebench r20 multi-threading well consuming 100 watts with a sustained boost of 3.8 gigahertz although it did boost to 4.8 gigahertz when not maxing out all the cores uh there would be really no point then in making that 6 plus 16 uh core model that i leaked because well this leak i put out guys showed meteor lake gets about the same performance as a 100 watt raptor lake cpu mm -hmm. now it's worth mentioning though that this was a test unit where they intentionally push it as hard as possible for thermal cycling and stuff. So I don't think this is a fair test of efficiency. I do think it's probably a fair test of performance, though, because I ran this past some people at Intel, and they said that boosting characteristics uh, are what we're seeing. So I still presume that this is kind of the performance. You'll get at like 45 watts, whereas with a Raptor-like refresh chip, you'll have to use 65 watts to get this. But... Don't expect much more than this. Um, I guess the only other thing I'd add about that is it was a 155H Core Ultra 7. Uh, so I think that's three steps down from the top. So it's in the bottom half of performance rung of the four mm -hmm. models they'll have. So, I, you know, 
I think the top model will maybe be 10% better than what was just leaked here. But that that's really all there is to say. It's not really notably better than Raptor Lake. So why they would push that on desktop is beyond me. And I don't think they will. Uh, but also in this video, I leaked that Arrow Lake, or confirmed really again, that Arrow Lake is on track for quarter three or maybe quarter four. So if you think about it, if laptop meter like isn't really going to even be ready till january 2024 and arrow lakes on track for quarter three where is this desktop six plus 16 or eight plus 16 um, um they're gonna have three months i guess where no one buys it i, I for <laughs> no performance increase over after like yeah i really it really doesn't make sense. Uh, the fact of the matter is that Intel has something marginally better than Phoenix, de facto launching in January, and then Zen 5 is going to come out and have a field day against Meteor Lake until Air Lake launches late 2024. Oh, and I also confirmed in the video that those two SOC cores in Meteor Lake, I've kind of been saying this the whole time, they're really not used by apps. One contact of mine was able to take a test system. I was able to confirm this in the past 24 hours and force a couple apps to use the two extra little cores for a total of 16 cores. But that was only a couple apps that would even let them. Some of them refused to let them use those cores. <laughs> and okay. there was a marginal performance increase when you did that to zero. These are two, basically, you might almost call them Gracemont C, like, like density and voltage tweaked Gracemont cores. On the SOC tile, which uses TSMC 6 nanometer, which is a worse node, allegedly, I guess we'll find out, than Intel's 4 nanometer node. So think about that. It's not even two more big cores. It's not even two more little cores, Crestmont cores. It's two Gracemont C cores. How much performance could you really be adding total in multi-threading? Like 5%? I, I just think that's worth pointing out as well. But uh, anyways, what did you think about all of this, Dan? Uh, I, I, I mean, it, it does at a certain point just be, it becomes reconfirming kind of what, what's been talked about on here for months. Like, surprise, uh, we've been saying this channel and not just this channel, others have been saying for months that Meteor Lake is a six plus eight core design and surprise, it's a six plus eight core design and there's no, uh, there's nothing coming to desktop that's for some reason higher than everything we've talked about. And there's not going to be a weird, I don't know, immediately outdated release of Meteor Lake on desktop with six plus eight cores because there's literally no purpose in that unless they wanted to release a slightly more power efficient thing slightly prematurely to a thing that's going to come out later anyways. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> I, I mean, it's nice to have the record set straight, and it's nice to see that this, I don't want to say officially announced, because I feel like they've ta- discussed Meteor Lake. For like two years, past. I mean. Yeah. I, I think I but, leaked Meteor Lake's code name in like 2020. I mean, it's crazy. But I, I mean, it does just kind of feel like Intel is saying, listen, here's what Meteor Lake is completely, and it's kind of, if you pay attention to uh, real leakers, you know what it's been for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm trying to think of really that much else to say about this. I saw some people in the Moore's Law said Discord after this video posted saying, oh, this perf- no performance increase. This is crazy. Like, how is it even possible? And I was like, well, I mean, I 
was told that these were running at around 3.8, some maybe even 3.7. It fluctuated between them. I don't know if it was on average 3.8 or 3.7 gigahertz. And from what I've seen from Raptor-like chips that are allowed to use a lot of energy, they tend to go to like 4 to 4.2 gigahertz. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, guys. I mean, I think we've learned Crestmont recently in slides from Intel is like a 5 to 7% IPC increase um, over Gracemont. And you have those and then big cores, and yet at like 10% lower clocks than Raptor Lake, it's performing the same. That means that the big cores have seemingly have a decent IPC increase. Like yeah. it's just the little cores are kind of a letdown. And it is, yeah, it's hitting five gigahertz, but it Raptor Lake hits above five. So it's it's really not as good. Well, it's not as well, good. It's for, not as it's not it's as good not, for desktop. It's it's a, not a performance increase for desktop. Yeah. But it is I, a better architecture. But uh, that's the thing, laptop is you're not looking to uh, generally looking to increase performance with power unmitigated. You're looking for power efficiency, which if Meteor Lake offers better power efficiency than Raptor Lake, of course, they're going to put it to the laptop, even if that performance doesn't scale. And if it doesn't scale, then there's no reason to put it on desktop. <laughs> um, yeah, and that reminds me as well, uh, you know, my opening arguments for why this desktop meteor like going up to higher core counts and being a proper fold product stack not making sense i also pointed out that i don't know if this has been it's basically been confirmed but i put out slides months ago uh that has been given to oems as a north star for what to expect mm -hmm. that shows where meteor lake stacks up and on these slides it says up to six plus eight and then it shows extreme laptops eight plus 16 raptor lake refresh Okay, so if they're putting 8 plus 16 Raptor Lake on laptop, why would they do that if there's an 8 plus 16 or even 6 plus 16 Meteor Lake coming? It is for laptop. I get why they do Raptor Lake refresh and then maybe six months later have room for a short-lived Meteor Lake desktop generation. But there would be no reason to refresh the extreme Raptor Lake on laptop if you had that coming. There'd be no oh, point. Oh, yeah, of course. Um and as far as a, a desktop goes, the only thing I could really imagine, like if for some, if they did a hybrid Raptor Lake Meteor Lake launch for the 14th gen, where like the i5s were Meteor Lake, which I don't know if that would be worth doing or not. Well, it doesn't clock as high, so no, it wouldn't be. But <laughs> yeah, um, all right. Let's see. Raisin Basket writes bit Raisin Biscuit writes in and says hi tom and dam meteor lake looks like a really interesting setup the design of which looks like a pretty substantial move forward with power efficiency in the mobile space and the ability to turn off the compute and graphics dice completely and then run off the low power e-cores and display media engines on the soc die i'm wondering whether we should expect these low power e-cores to be implemented in the meteor lake slash arrow lake design desktop designs where power efficiency is not as crucial, but the potential extra latency of shifting a thread now between three tiers of cores, LPE core, E core, and P core, where threads originate on the LPE cores might have more cons than pros for a desktop CPU. Um, well, they're never going to use these little cores, these ultra little cores for gaming, so I don't think it matters. Like The extra latency there isn't an issue. This isn't meant to be used with most apps. And number one, uh, number two, and this is something I brought up to AMD context. I think when I was talking to them about Rembrandt years ago, they're like, 
Yeah, I know it's interesting. Meteor Lake can turn off parts of the die or turn off parts of the SOC, like disable tiles. Rembrandt already turned, like literally turns <laughs> off transistors in a monolithic die. So they're doing this because they have to. And in fact, I'd argue they're adding two E cores to the SOC tile so they can get monolithic like efficiency. But if it's already monolithic, you don't really need to worry about that because you can already turn off parts of monolithic die. Like yeah. you can. I, I I mean the only reason I think it it, it it would necessarily come to desktop is if future uh, architectures use this same design in their laptops, so it just migrates over to desktop. Which I, I think I, they might, you know. I, so they might have it for that reason. Although it is worth mentioning, they might just use a different I/O tile on desktop, and then they don't need it. But if or SOC tile, but if they don't, or if there is some cross pollination, which there probably will be, yeah, they probably bring them to desktop. But it's to help with background tasks, which also helps desktop. Forget the power savings; it also helps with the background tasks, not making your other cores get, shall we say, distracted by things you don't really want them working on unless they need to. So there's benefits on desktop for this. Again, without it, it, none of this is latency; these are for background tasks and other things. These are not really to like get a five percent multi-threading boost. Yeah, but it, it, you know, lower power when it's uh, your desktop is idling is always good. It's not a feature really that's advertised for desktop because I don't think it matters as much. Where like, well, if you're doing low power uh, for <laughs> while idling on a laptop, eh, that might actually get you a couple more hours out of your laptop, depending on how well that's used. Yeah, um, Thalo two one five writes in and says, with the ever growing complexity of CPU dies, do you think Intel will ever Release another i5 chip that doesn't have e-cores, like the 12400 through 12600. I've been quite happy with my 12400F. I assume you mean after after like refresh, which I guess I don't remember. That one actually might even have little cores on them too. So I don't know, Dan. Do you think basically outside of i3s, they're done with not adding little cores? I, I mean, probably, right? Like, I don't... I don't think uh, until there's another massive redesign where maybe they nix e cores or multiple core types in their architecture or, or in their designs. I think there's probably going to be e cores that slowly migrate down the product stack until even i3s have e cores. <laughs> and maybe like Pentiums and Celerons are the only ones that don't anymore. And maybe they'll get them eventually, depending on how long this architectural design goes for. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's, I, I guess the only other thing I kind of want to bring up, I've kind of glossed over it with mm -hmm. Meteor Lake. Um, what are your thoughts on the December 14th? Like everything else they're showing, we've known what tiles it has. We've known the rough performance. December 14th release date. I mean, this to me sounds like they're just pretending it's not launching 2024. I mean... Yeah, that's not an ideal release date. I don't think uh, you're not going to be ideal for something like this would have been honestly three weeks, three, four weeks ago, probably yeah, before <laughs> but, people go to college. Uh, this oh, honestly, is, ideal would have been July. So it's there when you yeah, go to right. college to actually buy the thing. But but uh, December 14th. Yeah, th that sounds like it could either kind of be a paper launch unless there's models that are coming day and date on December 14th. Um, 
because it's not really soon enough to be there for a, a good holiday release either, because 11 days before Christmas isn't enough time for a bunch of people to buy that for their uh, college student uh, <laughs> on Christmas or something. So, yeah, no. it, it sounds like, uh, hey, we got it in in quarter four. <laughs> yeah, which... Go back a year ago. I actually looked. My Meteor Lake is ha- in trouble video came out uh, December 22nd, 2022. I said it'll be lucky to launch 2023. <laughs> December 14th, people. Sounds correct to me. <laughs> you know, and at the end of the day, I just, if it was launching for back to school in July and then if they had the desktop launching like January or December as an alternative to Raptor Lake Refresh, mm-hmm. that would have been cool. But it's is going to be a Strix competitor, and Zen 5 is going to eat this thing alive, I think. <sighs> yeah, I mean, we'll see. They might have, I guess they might have a bit of time on the market before that comes out, but not much. I think they'll have like three months at most, maybe two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the I guess Intel's uh, I think a bit better at getting their products to l- l- actual come out, actually come out in products uh, closer to when they release. Well, no, Arc it depends. Good, what but... <laughs> about Sapphire Rapids HEDT? What about you yeah, know? Yeah, that's true. I, yeah, I, I mean, I guess it all depends on when the models come out. If a bunch of models come out in January or February. They'll have more time, but mm-hmm. eh. when it makes me go like for back to school, you should just bought Phoenix. I mean, if you can, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I guess it looks well. It, Phoenix isn't a decent amount of laptops, actually. No, it is. You know, yeah. I, I mean, that's uh, always kind of feels like the thing with laptops, though. Is laptops you buy what you can when you need it, which sometimes that's Phoenix, sometimes that's Intel. <laughs> At least, I, I think. Sometimes it's six months later than you thought you would, but it's because it's at the whims of OEMs. It's when OEMs actually exactly. finish their laptop. Luckily, there, I feel like Intel and AMD both release pretty good products for laptops, so you're not completely screwed over, uh, even if something better comes out a few months later. Yeah, and there's so much more that goes into choosing a laptop, like the overall design, how quiet it is, battery life, the screen. Is it like... It's so easy to be picky about what screens you like. And at a minimum, I'm still feeling like, especially since Alder Lake and um, eh, Saison, but also Rembrandt actually to a greater extent came out. It's like, I don't know. They're just so much better than they used to be. You know, just wait. They'll keep getting better. But uh, whenever you see any of these companies say laptop chips are coming out maybe just add four months to that or something <laughs> that is what it feels like a lot of the time yeah <laughs> uh bullethead writes in and says hey tom and dan uh ian cutcher's breakdown of meteor lake for pc world in the breakdown for pc world he mentioned suggesting that intel sell neural processing units as m.2 add-on cards you think a product is viable like that both given Intel's financial problems and the fact that they'd compete with their own CPUs. Yes, they've been selling them for years. <laughs> <laughs> so I do think that is a viable thing. Um, Compressed Earthblocks writes in and says, Hello, Assault Specialist Tom and Support Specialist Dan. Going off Battle for, Battlefield 4 classes here, even though I said Specialist, but hey. Uh, yeah, which is 
2042. That is kind of what I we tend to play. You tend to be support in games, and I mm-hmm. tend to be a salt boy, like yeah. an MP7. Uh, interesting guess, Compressed Earthblocks. You're not following <laughs> us around. Uh, how do you guys feel about Intel's innovation event? Was there anything announced that was a surprise to you guys? I know a lot of the things they announced and mentioned, you've already mentioned before, Tom, but was there something that even you were like, oh, that's cool? Or is this mostly just confirming what you knew? I, I didn't. Did you look around at the announcements, Dan? I, I did yeah. not see. Okay. I, I, anything I, I, cool to you? Uh, I, I mean, not not too much. I, it's not I, that it's not tried- cool, just nothing new. Yeah, it kind of feels like, which is, I guess, unfortunate. <laughs> the unfortunate thing that happens when you keep track of lakes is a lot of the stuff that comes out kind of just feels like things you've already heard about, and it's just them saying, yep, that's real. <laughs> but I mean, I, it's hard for me to keep track of what's part of this innovation event, what's part of stuff they said around hot chips and between them. Just the past month, I feel like there's just been random Intel stuff every three days, and it's usually stuff that we've already leaked. For me, the biggest thing is just confirmation of both Sierra Forest and uh, Granite Rapids being exactly what we leaked the configuration it would be a year ago or something. <laughs> like, there, that that was a big deal to me, and I just keep pointing that out online. Like, So if you guys want to know what Diamond Rapids is, <laughs> like that's out there as well already. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's not that I would say nothing's not cool. It's just, I think we already, no real surprises. Honestly, the biggest surprise is I, I kind of thought Intel was going to manage to launch Meteor Lake in October by being, may, I keep letting myself get optimistic about Intel and <laughs> that, that is December 14th, such a weird date. Well, eventually you'll, you'll probably eventually be pay off for that optimism at some point when they actually meet a goal. Yeah, hopefully. Um, Mike writes in, hi, this news of new glass substrate that Intel has researched will be, will this be Intel exclusive or become an industry standard? Did you look in at this, Dan? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think the big advantage that immediately sounds translatable to me is I, I think it's thermal expansion is closer to that of like actual silicon. So that's probably better for uh, heating. Oh. And apparently it's has like 50% better heat tolerance than organic substrate. So yeah, if that's all bears out, I do think the industry will be moving towards it. <laughs> so is this something um, that, Intel is saying it's only for them or did they just just announce it? They just announced that I think within the next five years or something, they're going to, they're planning on migrating from organic to uh, glass core substrate. uh, Okay. So it's not just them. No, I think other people will use it then. Yeah. And then they showed off, uh, I think a experimental wafer with a glass substrate instead of their organic stuff. It's just so funny because I keep thinking about that. Like when I think about upcoming architectures from Intel and AMD, like Zen 6 from AMD, or especially from Intel, when I hear about things like Beast Lake that's supposed to go crazy with single threading performance. And I'm like, I know people said, well, AMD wasn't competing. It's hard to get past five gigahertz. But all of a sudden, we were at 5.2, 5.5. Now, 
we're to six. Intel's about to launch a 6.2 gigahertz processor. And I can't help but think, are we just going to be to seven gigahertz in four years? <laughs> like, or higher? Who knows? Like, Maybe. I mean, know? if, I, 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 unless I'm misunderstanding what that means, if it has 50% higher thermal tolerance, that means that these things will be able to go way past 100 degrees Celsius, right? So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if that's what they're saying, then I, they're obviously banking on hot, fast processors <laughs> in the future. <laughs> Yeah, I know, and I, I was trying to avoid the joke, but it's like I know. surprise. Intel's doing this first. The hot, the the company that uh, launches CPUs that use the same amount of energy as my forty ninety. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, on that cheerful note, let us move on then to story number two. This piece of content is brought to you by Zima Blade. The Zima Blade is a tiny computer that you can turn into an NAS server media player, retro console, or frankly, whatever you want it to be. First, let's talk about why you might want a personal server. You see, cloud storage is inherently limited by space constraints, security issues, and privacy limitations if it's not your cloud. But if it was your own cloud and you could afford to build it to yourself, well, those issues melt away. And this is where the Zima Blade comes in with its support for 154 terabytes of storage and an incredibly low starting price of $64 for a dual-core Intel x86 Apollo Lake processor. And they also offer quad-core models as well and 18 Skylake execution units, which means that... You could use this to make a retro console, host for development work, including AI if you plug in a GPU. But even if you didn't plug in a GPU, it's strong enough to play a game like Rocket League. And speaking of plugging things in, it is quite modular, allowing you to make this product whatever you want it to be. Per personally, I plan to either make it some sort of an old school gaming PC or test system with a GTX 583 gigabyte, or possibly just a backup server for Moore's Law's Dead Files. I haven't decided yet, and it's hard for me to decide because, well, there's so many options available. The bottom line is that the Zima Blade is an excellent single board configurable computer that starts at $64 US or 60 Euro, and you can use it for anything. Please check out their website, and if you get one, make sure that you tell them I sent you, and honestly, just clicking those links in the description helps the channel so much. Check out Zima Blade in the links below today. RTX 4070 price drop confirmed. So yeah, last week this channel was tipped off by a contact at NVIDIA that the RTX 4070, just like the 4060 Ti 16GB before it, was getting a $50 haircut to better compete with new Navi32 products. Uh, expect this to be a thing you see for a while, and indeed it shows that NVIDIA is concerned about AMD's newfound aggressiveness with RDNA 3 pricing. And I did think this deserved its own story because it's like, I... Look, Navi32 is clearly doing something here. Uh, you have them announce Navi32 products, and boom, 4060 Ti 16GB goes to 450, and then they come out and get good reviews and sell out. Boom, 4070 gets a price drop. I don't know. What do you think about this? Um, I, I think a $50 price drop to makes it a lot closer to what I would just say, like, dealer's choices if you're trying to choose between the 4070 and 7800 XT. I still think, what, the 40, the 7800 XT is, like, what, 5% or something stronger than the 4070 in raster? Um, it's a bit behind in ray tracing, obviously, like 10-15% behind in ray tracing. So, I don't know. I, I, I 
think the 7800 XT is still the better value product, but I wouldn't say you're a complete idiot for getting a 4070 now with it only being $50 more. Yeah, I did see some stuff emerge today. Unfortunately, I don't remember where, like the link to it, but it was like, if you undervolt overclock the 7800 XT, it oh, gets yeah. a clear performance win over the 4070 now. It's a very good overclocker, and just like Vega, for some reason, the <laughs> RDNA 3 is really gets huge performance boosts and lo- lowers halved power consumption if you uh, undervolt it a lot, or yeah, undervolt it. Uh, and then push up clock speeds simultaneously. And it, it basically, some people were saying this thing just overclock to overclock. Now it's like the same efficiency as the 4070 and goes from winning slightly to firmly winning. Which does lead me to a thing where, like, I, I feel like AMD has an issue where they're releasing products uh, that aren't optimized well for the power use and clock speeds that they, that they, come out out as default because i don't know it seems like rdna uh rdna 3 is a pretty good overclocking generation and i can't help but wonder if they just tune those default uh parameters a little bit better maybe they could claim like a 10 percent win with the 7800 xt over the 4070 rather than being like it's technically stronger but not really <laughs> yeah yeah, and especially the 7700 XT seems to overclock even better. Like some people getting 20% overclocks and I'm, yeah. performance increases. Like in practice, not just like clock speed increases. And I'm sitting here going, that's like almost GCN levels. We're like, I don't, I don't know. Like, why, like they charge $10 less for the 7700 XT. It's like, or 10% less. And it's like, if they would have pushed it another 10 to 15%, the price difference actually wouldn't have been crazy. I don't understand what they're doing. (laughs) Like, what are they doing? Yeah, so so I I don't know. It just seems like AMD always doing their best to shoot themselves in the foot when when it comes to this type of stuff, but... They just had really, really good steel-toed shoes on this time, so it was still a good product. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I don't know. When I look at that type of... When I look at this, it's like, like certainly, if you're gonna bother doing the minimum tweaking and uh, the overclocking features built into the drivers, I still think you know. Look at the 4070; they're charging 10 percent more for the same performance and less RAM. I mean, I think you still get the 7800 XT. My opinion is they should cost the same, especially if you're someone who's going to ba- bother to do that tweaking, unless you specifically need Nvidia for something. But even then, it's like. Yeah, but AMD has certain features that I like, like this overclocking built into the drivers and all this other stuff. I still can't help but think that they should be the same price. Yeah, I, I think I, that I, doesn't mean I think the market will agree with me. I, I, I think uh, the forty seventy would be in a pretty good place if if this was like a seventy dollar price drop instead of a fifty dollar. I, I, I think it would like you have like the AI, the nice AIB models at the same price as 4070s. I agree. Then a lot of people choose the 4070. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I, I personally think at, at like 520, 530, the 4070 is probably a, a better buy than the 7800 XT. I also think at that point you're splitting hairs a little bit. The 7800 XT has four gigs more RAM, which we'll see as time goes on how much of a uh, asset asset that will be for the 7800 XT and has identical raster performance slightly slightly better and then 
I don't know, you give a little bit of value to the uh, 4070 for having uh, DLSS and uh, better ray tracing. But at 550, I still think the 7800 XT is the card you go with at, at this price point, or the 6800 XT if it's the only thing available. Uh, but eh, I mean, this is definitely showing that Navi uh, 32 threw a grenade at, into this uh, price point in the market, which I think was definitely needed as NVIDIA was really trying to push some interesting BS with their pricing at this segment. Yeah. And I do wonder, like, if we'll see, uh, checking at least Amazon bestsellers, the 4070 is selling well. And I think that I haven't really done a rounding of the wagons with my distributor and uh, retail source uh, yeah, sources, but I'd imagine they would tell me the same thing. Hey, 4070 sales are picking up and Navi 32 is still selling fantastic. But at the same time, it's like, well, they were always kind of going to pick up, you know, eventually once prices went down to a certain degree. I just wonder, I do just wonder if we're going to see this with more cards along the stacks. Because I just think both NVIDIA and AMD need to take like a handful of the cards they have out now and adjust things officially. Like some of them are already oh, yeah. selling below MSRP, just make it official. Oh, yeah, I, I think, um, I, I guess I don't know when you would do it at this point. There's no like card release to anchor it to, but... I think it would get a lot of positive press if AMD just, uh, for, I, I mean, if AMD just confirmed what, that the market prices are the new SM, MSRPs. Yeah. All right. TMC Payton writes in and says, Howdy, with the ever growing VRAM demands, how long will it be until PC gaming can alleviate this issue through features like resizable bar, direct storage, PCIe 5.0, SSDs, and graphics cards? I'm doubtful we will require 64 gigabyte mid-range cards in five years to keep up with the trend. Our PCs just screwed this console gem because of how slow this paradigm shift is happening. Thanks. Well, we've had an abnormal stagnation in VRAM capacity over the past five yeah. years. The only reason I don't think we're going to try to make up for lost time is the market is showing, consumers are showing a clear not wanting price increases. So I think what we'll see is some VRAM increases, but if everyone was willing to keep paying shortage prices, I think we would have seen a quadrupling in VRAM over the next three years. I, I do think consumer spending trends will keep it to be more like a doubling within mm -hmm. a few years. But I don't know, it's going to go up. And even five years ago, I mean, if we like, if we think about it, we had... Yeah, I guess it's hard, though, because Pasco was such a big increase. I guess it's just worth remembering, if we go back eight years, we were looking at two to four gigabyte mid-range cards, and now we have quadruple that. So I guess what I'm saying is I don't expect 64 gigabyte cards in five years, but I do in the mid-range 2030, maybe. Yeah, I, I mean, it would. it is annoying, though, which I, I think PC is is leveraging it more over time, as you see, like spec sheets just cut new games coming out this year. The minimum is at least an SSD. I, I wish the minimum mm. were more of them were just specifying NVMe, not SATA in general, but NVMe the, Gen three or at mm -hmm. least, and then recommended I, I, Gen four, so that at a minimum you have as fast as the fastest Gen three. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wish we would see that, but the fact that SSDs in general are are being thrown in and hard drives are kind of going the way of the dinosaur finally is good to see. As like, I don't know who the hell is putting an, a hard drive in their new PCs at this point, 
probably people that don't pay attention to any trends and are like, well, you get a hard drive. But um, yeah, it, it is annoying um, how much IO is being left on the table when it comes to PCs because it's there in some of your hardware. It's just not being utilized properly. <laughs> and I think that IO could pro- use properly could give you a decent increase in performance. It's just, well, uh, they're not going to do that because half of people are using deficient SSDs in their systems. And because of that, all of the other pieces of tech that go into a PC really haven't caught up to utilize it anyways. Yeah. Um, but to, to answer his question to our PCs screwed this console, Jen, now I think things are going to start to get better next year. All we need, we have these awkward engines that are mm-hmm. kind of just bolted on to last gen engines still. And well, the PS five at least makes it very easy to program for even the series X has IO controllers probably a faster SSD than overwhelming majority of PC gamers, for being honest. <laughs> you don't say uh, that. And, uh, you know, probably a graphics card that's better than most, too, and they both have 16 gigabytes of VRAM. And there's just some systems where they have a SATA SSD. There's some systems where they only have 16 gigabytes of RAM. There's some systems where, oh, all of this is modern, but their laptop has a 4 gigabyte 3050. And I just think by late next year, you know, Ratchet and Clank is a canary in the coal mine. They're like, if you want high settings, you need all of these boxes checked. Like, otherwise, there's going to be stuttering, crashes, and issues. And I just think by the end of next year, we're just going to have some minimum requirements where they're just like, look, if you want a game in 1080p, you need 1080p native without DLSS or FSR helping you heavily with low settings. You need eight gigabytes. You need 12 for 1440 and you need 16 for 4K. You just do. And I don't know what to tell you guys. You're also going to need a PCIe Gen 4 SSD. Doesn't mean the fastest one. Maybe it's actually a maxed out gen three good enough but somewhere around that entry level and you're gonna need 32 gigabytes of ram once that's just kind of expected for high settings and then they just say for stutter free low all right that's when you can get away with some of this stuff i think games will run better because we're not that far away i mean most high-end pcs are running games better than the consoles if you tweak a couple things they just have a stutter here and there because the engine isn't really built to take advantage of the brute force brute force in our way out of the problem, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, with smarter utilization of that tech, that's more similar to what the consoles have. I just don't think, or I mean, we'll see how big, how much VRAM a graphics card will need eventually in 2030. But if all of that other tech is being leveraged properly on pc i don't think you need a 64 gigabyte card in the next five years no i don't and i just think it's worth pointing out too like if you crank down all settings you can get by with a a lot weaker system you know you can get Mm -hmm. by with that 16 like even i I tried out an rx 6400 recently um for an aliexpress ad and you know i mean 1080p crank all settings down to low or most of them, I guess. And just, you know, either turn, I guess you don't have to, so let's just turn on FSR and it was no stuttering, no glitches. Actually. It's like, I just think a lot of this is if you have a weak system, you have to turn everything down. So all of those bottlenecks and sending data between everything without IO controllers, isn't an issue. 
And then we just mm-hmm. need the extra bit of brute force and leverage for the high end. And, and, and we'll have it pretty soon. But this is the awkward period where like they're not really leveraging what you have and yet wanting you to have it so you can crank up these other settings. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, let us move on then to story number three, Xbox, Microsoft, FTC leak. So I want to do, I didn't want to do a big write-up for this one. In general, I would just encourage everybody watching this, please go check out the Xbox FTC leak analysis that I put out last week. If you missed it, which according to the numbers, a lot of you freaking did miss it. And at least that was one where basically all of the comments, and this is especially a big deal to me because it's involving spicy console information where the fanboys often go wild they didn't go wild like everyone was like hey i even people who might disagree with me usually like i gotta admit the facts are there and all of the ducks are in a row so you know i I really check it out because it really highlights some very specific stuff here that i don't want to have to completely go through where it's all coming from but just trust me when i say my big takeaway from and i'll get yours soon dan because there was so much to discuss here um my big takeaway from the xbox ftc leak and all of these things that have come out of this um is that is nothing having to do with these weird arguments i've seen online of like well they said it then and maybe they're trying to manipulate the ftc and they don't really think that because they're secretly altruistic or some of these bizarre i'm not my biggest takeaway was a year ago phil spencer stated that game pass had to basically hit 120 million subs by 2030 and like i don't remember what it was but like 80 or 100 million just like i think 90 million by 2027 and that was before we had recent game pass numbers so they Mm -hmm. said it has to do this He does not know the future back then, people. (laughs) And now we have numbers that suggest they're well below where they said they needed to be, that they thought they'd be to like over 40 million subs by now. They might not even be above 30. I guess they're probably above 30 if you add Game Pass Core, which is just calling Xbox Live Gold Game Pass, even though you don't get really what any of that stuff. Um, And, you know, a year ago he said if they don't get close to or better than some of the charts that were being thrown in his face, that the executives at Microsoft are talking about killing Xbox, or at least fundamentally paring it down and changing what the brand even is. And, okay, a year after he said that, their numbers are below, well below what he said they needed. That, to me, is the big biggest bombshell from these documents so far, because... This isn't a matter of opinion. This isn't a matter of a manipulation. These are all facts. Phil said it, not me. Phil Phil said it, not me, people. Phil said it. And it's below what he said, and he didn't know it would be below what he said a year ago, which is crazy to me. But that was my biggest takeaway. The Zen 6 and ARM64 stuff, I think that was just a concept of specs by a group at mm. Microsoft. I don't think that confirmed anything actually. Uh, but yeah, what were, what were I your mean, big takeaways from all um, of this? I mean, I would say outside of that, I, I, I think the, the picture I got from some of the stuff that came out is they've, for reasons that are really unknown to me, they seem really overconfident in, basically all of their things internally 
despite the fact that like the 360 was obviously I, I I think you would view it as had things gone differently with the Xbox One, the 360 would have been the start of them becoming market the market leader in console. Um, or but, at least seen in the same pantheon as Nintendo and Sony. But then it immediately reversed. The Wii U was a flop. Well, not kind of. The Wii U was a flop. Was the, the PS4 <laughs> was a rousing success. Then the Nintendo came back with the Switch, which the Switch is one of the fastest selling consoles of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, if not the one fastest. of the highest selling already, it's it's up there. Y- yeah, which I mean, is is such a success. Yeah. Uh, so Sony and Nintendo both prove themselves. No, we're still market leaders here. Mm. Uh, beyond, and Microsoft, I think, is still the third place in the market right now. Um, and, but at this point, by a pretty sizable margin. So the fact that they're this confident like thinking that they can beat back the ps5 by according to them for some reason being thinking it will be like 30 percent stronger than the ps5 despite the fact that even if you look at the specs the way people traditionally look at specs this thing would be like 10 maybe 15 percent stronger than a ps5 uh that's the other bizarre takeaway to me and then beyond that i think the I think this should be doing more to show people like not that I think anybody should take this seriously anyways, that Bill Spencer isn't like the nice guy, like the console space is all kumbaya public persona. He tries to have he's at heart. I would say a monopolist when for the games market for Microsoft. Uh, And I think more people should be talking about that. (laughs) Yeah, that's what the craziest thing is to me, is that more people aren't talking about it. Like, dude, this guy threw around the idea of doing a hostile takeover of Nintendo and basically said, if there's any way we could ever buy Valve and control Steam, we should. Which, in my opinion, is effectively murdering the gaming market. If if they would have success... I, I, I guess I can't say how serious they were about that, but if they would have successfully tried to do or succeeded in doing both of those, that would have killed the gaming market. That mm-hmm. effectively kills PC and completely turns PC into a Microsoft platform, which the FTC almost... The FTC, I feel like, would have blocked a Valve acquisition, but who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a far smaller company than Activision, so maybe they wouldn't. But <laughs> but uh, And then Nintendo also would have been crazy if they had even tried to do that. Um, and... It's disheartening to see a lot of what's been driving the discussion online is the fact that the new controller leaked, the fact that there's two new uh, mid-gen upgrade question marks that are coming out. They're like better Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, no price decrease, no performance increase. And then the fact that like six remakes are something also got leaked, and that's like what's ultimately driving the discussion. I guess the plus is I don't think the even those leaks were necessarily received positively. Like you see online the uh, Series X replacement, which I don't even know if that's a serious thing. That's it's worth remembering. This could be out. just a concept. There's yeah. several teams proposing different concepts. The big takeaway that most people seem to have from that was, oh, so they're trying to kill discs completely now. Great, I won't be buying this. Yeah. So. I, I, I guess I'm glad that the reception to removing a disk drive was negative. 
which I, I think it kind of has to because you can't. Yeah, and they still wanted to charge $500 without a Blu-ray drive just because it had more storage. So if anything, that, I mean, that Blu-ray drive with how cheap SSDs are now is probably it's probably more than the storage increase they have. Yeah, They're basically saying, give us a higher margin. You can't use own your games anymore. Also, we have a history of trying to make it so you can't own your games. Yeah, I, I, I'll... I mean, I think their argument for what I'm about to say would be, well, people that bought it, the disc drive version early on, shouldn't buy this new upgrade. But you can't release a mid-gen upgrade uh, without a disc drive if the earlier models had a disc drive, because that's essentially saying uh, anybody that has discs, you can't get this because, hey, uh, now half your games don't work. Or they need to have a system to migrate your discs to digital. Well, but, Dan, I, some data is emerging that most of the consoles sold are the Series S. That doesn't have a disk drive. So maybe they're true. looking at that and going, people don't care. That's wild to me that the Series S is driving most sales because it's... It, well, they're not making the Series X. So that's why. <laughs> Remember, <laughs> it, it, during the shortages, yeah, I covered, yeah, I about they that. are not selling it. Like, you can't get it. And yet there's deals during COVID shortages on the Series S. That means they're just making a shit ton of Series S's and saving the Series X's for their cloud streaming servers, which they are. I told people from Microsoft, I leaked that. They're using the Series X uh, SoC, which was a dual purpose design meant to also be able to handle more RAM and stream games. What did they say? They wanted to be able to handle four series, well, four Xbox One S quality streams and that's what it can do and so they were prioritizing that which is just uh, i was saying though like it's wild to me that the series s is driving sales at the price it is because i I think that things should be 250 tops but i mean (laughs) you know it's like a third the performance of a ps5 and or, or series x for only a hundred dollars left than a disc yeah, less ps5 it's ridiculous but yeah uh what is that uh like 60 percent less ram a third the and it didn't even come with it didn't even come with enough storage to not plus, have a disk drive if it had one terabyte i'd be like eh, okay but it doesn't have enough storage to store call of duty games. nope <laughs> which to be fair it should That's be also able a criticism to. of call of duty <laughs> yeah but, <laughs> Yeah, but I, I I don't know. Uh, uh, the fact that the Series S is selling that well is crazy to me. Well, relatively speaking, because the both series consoles is, don't seem to be selling exceptionally well to begin with. But it, it's just bizarre that anybody's buying a Series S in 2023. Like, it's not really a 1440p console. It's no, this thing's going to be a 540p console in three years. <laughs> A lot of devs told me they were unhappy to see the refresh of the Series S still as 10 gigabytes of RAM, potentially. They're like, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I guess, was there anything else? And here's the thing. A lot more is going to emerge. I was talking to someone who's um, a mod in the Moore's Laws at Discord, and he was telling me he might, he actually read the entire, all of it. He read all of it over the course of two weeks and took notes, and he may do a write-up about it. And... He's like, yeah, I mean, a lot of people are missing the bigger stories here. If you were to read every document, like, like, man, they just badmouth Xbox behind the scene in emails all the time. Like, (laughs) if anyone thinks the executives at Microsoft are like full force behind 
They're not. They don't. They see Xbox as the ugly stepchild that loses the money every year. And these documents prove it. It's not making the money, guys. I, I, I feel like to some extent, Microsoft is, I mean, uh, not Microsoft, Xbox as a brand is kind of just the positive PR wing for Microsoft because that is, uh, there's some truth to that. They've said, we want a Microsoft device that's there for fun in the living room. So people don't always see us as Microsoft office. And then when they're not looking, we'll turn Xbox into a Microsoft office device. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think Phil Spencer, uh, for having just criticized him a, a lot. <laughs> uh, I think he does do a good job maintaining that public face as being the the fun ally to gaming that Microsoft supposedly is. Well, that's kind of the final thing I'll say is, I don't know, because I honestly don't go into console forums ever, but do you think this could really damage this brand, though? And like his whole thing has been, we just want to play games, and now we have emails of him making fun of the competition and saying he wants to kill Nintendo. <laughs> like... How can he have a straight face and go on stage? And will the audience actually sit there and go, oh, we'll pretend we don't know what you're really thinking behind that fake smile? Uh, I don't think the stuff with Phil Spencer broke through to the public con- public consciousness, consciousness enough, Jesus, to really have that big of an impact. Maybe I'm wrong, but th- that that's the impression I get from what I've read, uh, like on Reddit and whatnot. It's kind of how I feel about it, too, right now. But I still think more videos and things are going to keep emerging after this. You know, if, if this story, if this story keeps having waves for like a couple months or something, then I could I could see that happening. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess we'll see, because, I mean, some of these emails and stuff like Satya, Satya, yeah, Satya, the CEO of Microsoft, like. Phil basically gloats like we're going to win. And then it's like, what's the price of our console? Have we announced it yet? <laughs> and it's like, you can't, the, the Xbox division isn't even on the CEO's radar. If he doesn't know if they've announced the price yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, QH Freddy writes in and says, Microsoft wants to get lots of people on board with their game pass subscriptions, but how do they intend to keep any of those subscribers they get if they don't release any good games. Basically, all the studios they are acquiring are just getting tossed out on the compost heap, it feels like. The same goes for the franchises. What product are they even trying to sell? Surely they should realize that unsubbing is as easy as pressing the subscribe button and that free-to-play titles can get gamers' attention away from whatever Microsoft-owned game they may be playing at that point in time. Yeah, that's something... um, I I like this reader mail and threw it in here for that reason. I like that he brought up free-to-play titles. It's like... I mean, that's definitely a thing in streaming is like, if you don't have any money, YouTube's free, you know, and really the biggest reason almost to watch TV shows on Netflix or the premium version of Hulu or HBO is because, well, there's no ads. It's nice. (laughs) And then there's a lot of high quality stuff you can't easily watch on YouTube. But if you have no money, there's plenty of stuff to watch for free. I mean, it's out there, but I think gaming's an even bigger deal. Like the biggest games, Fortnite, are free to play. If you don't have money and you're trying to save money, is Game Pass what you would do, or would you play the mountain of free games? Eh, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I think probably, but I mean, I think what Microsoft is trying to do is have so many companies under their belt that you have to go to them at some point for to get their games and i'll see if they start pulling certain games off the market as far to like buy quote unquote a la carte 
But uh, that would be my big worry is what they're going to try to do next there at some point in the next several years or something. Yeah, it's just so weird because I feel like they did top down instead of going bottom up. They were like, we're going to make this thing that costs 10 or $15 a month. And, you know, if you get it, you can get all of these games. And then they made the business model and the pricing before they had the games to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wouldn't you like, we already have all these people on Xbox Live Gold. So why don't you just take a little bit of an L and say, it's not really about being able to play online anymore. <laughs> like what we're going to do with Xbox Live Gold is now it's called Game Pass. And you know those free games you got every month or really didn't get randomly for like <laughs> half of the end of the Xbox One generation or something? Like we're going to actually start turn on uh, the 360 generation is what I meant to say. Man, look at some of those free game months at the end of the 360 gen is thinking, but like we're going to actually start giving you twice as much what Sony does every month. We're going to, and then we're also going to have these other cool features. And then we're going to start doing things where we like have this game there, that game there, this game exclusive. And before you know it, we're going to have all these studios making games and then we'll raise the price. That's kind of what happened with Netflix. Netflix started at a lower price with tons of stuff and kept getting higher and higher quality content. And then after the high quality content, they raised the price. Like, yeah, it seems it, like they're just trying to make this w- get to where they want it to be way before it's ready to. Yeah, it's like they're trying to jump to what Netflix is in 2023 before they did the bait and switch. <laughs> Which, well, that was the craziest thing, too. In my analysis videos, I realized like Phil Spencer is saying they need to be as big as Netflix by 2030 or as big as Netflix was six years ago by 2030. And I'm like, how does that even happen? That'd be like Netflix saying if we're not bigger than spotify we can't make money it's like well streaming music's a lot cheaper data wise than streaming shows so i don't know why you think you need to be as big as them and then it's another tier down for game pass not everyone plays AAA games and this is even bigger data requirements meaning it's even more expensive to let even people download the game compared to stream a movie and you're saying you need to be as big as netflix Netflix struggled to be successful at this level, and their costs are lower than yours will be. How is that even possible? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know what their plan is. I, I mean, that's what I feel like I've been talking about with Game Pass and Microsoft for forever, is just th- their goal is to get so big that they either succeed or they literally just destroy the g- gaming market. That's That feels like the thing they're trying to head down and that's why i was hoping activision would get blocked because i think that's the first step in that direction like the fact that microsoft kind of seemingly views uh xbox as this ugly stepchild that they own and run and yet they're also simultaneously making the biggest acquisitions in gaming history is really worrying or some of the biggest acquisitions in corporate history in general is really worrying. Right. Cause like, how is this possible that they're not even paying attention to when the price is announced by their own company, but yeah, then they're they just yeah, spend billion $70, 70 billion. Oh se- yeah, you're right. Cl- yeah. $70 billion to buy Activision. I can't help but think that a lot of that is, and I've seen people say that too. Well, then why would they be buying Activision? Well, first of all, they started trying to buy Activision before Phil said these things. So let's just 
make that clear, mm-hmm. everybody, that maybe he thought all this stuff would be done and helping more by now. But in addition to that, um, I, guys, I think they might just be buying Activision because also it's just a good buy. Yeah. Like, like, I think they see it as separate from Xbox in that if Xbox had to become a new business model or became something else, oh no, we own Call of Duty. I mean, like, you know, yeah. I think that's how they look at it. Yeah. Um, Ever get exhausted looking for a safe way to pay reasonable pricing for Microsoft software amongst tons of questionable listings on eBay and shady websites? Well, now you don't have to do this any longer. Not if you go to cdkeyoffer.com. This piece of content is brought to you by cdkeyoffer.com and their back to school sale. Whether it's Microsoft operating systems, office products, or even many of the latest AAA games, cdkeyoffer.com provides PC gamers with a product that I honestly think this community does need in a world where far too many of our components that make up our PCs are getting more expensive every year. The last thing we need is monopolistically priced software to remain on that list of stupid stuff we pay too much for. And you know, the Moore's Laws Dead team has been working with cdkeyoffer.com for many years for a reason. They've been good to me. They've been good to Dan. They've been good to family members that use their website when they build a PC. And they've been good to the Moore's Law is Dead community as well. So whether you're looking for Steam, EA, Uplay, or PlayStation keys, or of course Microsoft products, Support Moore's Law is Dead by using the code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all Microsoft products or DieShrink for 3% off everything else. Support us at cdkeyoffer.com today. Compressed Earthblocks writes in and says, Tom, due to the recent Xbox lease coming out, we know next-gen Xbox is slated for 2028. No, we don't. We also know they're looking into using ARM or Zen 6, depending on that. Do you think Sony will make this move as well? Will AMD be able to keep their console contracts next generation? Um, I, most people I talked to actually said ARM 64 isn't the craziest suggestion. But once they thought about it, whether it was a developer or someone at AMD was like, I think they're just going to go with x86, though, guys. If you look at this, this just seems to be a proposal by one group in the company. This probably isn't, may not even be someone that thought about the hardware changes required. Like, it's just a proposal, possibly. So, first of all, let's say that. Second of all, like, the Zen 6 thing. All right, guys, Zen 5 comes out in under half a year. So, Zen 6 should be ready two years after that. Maybe two and a half at most. Why would they be launching something in 2029 that's still targeting Zen 6? Yeah. <laughs> that Zen 7, or I'm told after Zen 6, they may move to a new architecture entirely. <laughs> it will be ready. Guys, this is a list of crap a team put together as a, what do you think of these thoughts? And they just put Zen 6 because that's a safe thing that will be out by then. I really think the specs stuff is not... The RDNA 5 stuff was interesting because that probably tells us a little bit about RDNA 5. But what they'll actually end up using, I don't think it's confirmation of any of that, nor when the console will launch. That's so far away. I mean, they could start deciding to make it a year from now, and it could still come out in 2026. So, I, I mean, as far as if Xbox will keep using AMD and the same question for Sony, it's like, I imagine as long as AMD continues making competitive CPU is competitive and even remotely competitive competitive enough to be in a mid yeah to be in a mid-range PC and they continue to be happy with AMD as a partner they'll keep going with AMD 
Yeah. I, I, for the sake of backwards compatibility, I think that just keeps things easier for them, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yuma3 writes in, he says, Hey, Tom, PlayStation appears to be doing better than Xbox is. What do you think that PlayStation is doing differently from Xbox? Is there anything you think Xbox is doing better than Sony? Where do you think Nintendo fits into this? Well, Nintendo just sells shit tons of Switches, so that's a success. <laughs> and whether I always agree or not, they clearly are stewarding their franchise as well. I mean, look at the success of Animal Crossing. My girlfriend plays it. All of our friends basically play it, and it looks like a great game. And and the new Zelda games that get good reviews, Mario seems to... like they steward their franchises fairly well. Even if I feel like it's a bit of a rebrandion fest over there. I mean, hey, they get good reviews and people love them. So even if it's still Mario and Zelda stuff, at least the quality's not gone down. And that's what Nintendo does well. And I think to a certain extent, I'd probably say the same thing of Sony. And, you know, I think Sony does, has with the PS4 and 5. And, you know, to a certain extent with every console, though they've certainly stumbled here and there knows what they're doing when they design hardware, when they really set their mind to it. I say when they really set their mind to it, cause every now and then Sony blunders and I don't know why just Sony blunders sometimes, but when they, when it matters, they tend to make a good piece of hardware and they tend to keep their franchises going and they do make new franchises. Uh, not as often as we used to see, but more often than Nintendo. And that's not something you can say for a lot of companies in general, let alone console manufacturers, like any dev studio. Half of them are just making the 10th version of a game. They Sony makes new series. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the way I would put it is, I think Nintendo and Sony are both deliberate and thinking about their brand with the choices they make. And I honestly, I feel like Mike, not Microsoft Xbox as a brand for at least a decade at this point has kind of felt completely aimless to me. And it feels like they're chasing the winds of like what other of like what they think other companies are doing that is successful. Like they were under the impression that the PS4 won because it was, stronger than the it had uh, more teraflops and it was never about the teraflops yeah when also if you look at the two consoles like the it's not like even in the best case scenario it's not like the series x would have been that much stronger than the ps5 i mean obviously it would could have been 20 percent stronger i guess if you if you if things really if, went from if they from actually Microsoft, clocked it to two gigahertz like any RDNA 2 architecture should be, by the way. If they actually had it run at 2 gigahertz and gave it 20 gigabytes of RAM for a unified 320-bit bus, oh, they, they would have won. They would have had more performance. They would have. But it, so I, they're taking the wrong takeaway, and they didn't even execute well with that takeaway they had anyways. Um, and they see saw that other markets were moving towards a subscription model, so now they want to do a subscription model. And they see oh, Sony bought some partners and they made some good, I mean, bought some of their partners and they made some good games with those partners. Like, uh, why can't, why can't I think of Ratchet and Clank? Insomniac. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like Insomniac was a huge deal uh, for Sony to get. And everybody has been questioning when Sony would buy Insomniac for like decades now, it seems. But, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, but Microsoft is like, all right, so what we need to do is make a nominally stronger console than the PS5. We need to make a streaming service and we need to fucking buy everything. 
and mm-hmm. that that's it, it just feels like it's a completely aimless brand to me i mean not to be too negative on xbox but <laughs> I, I mean it's, i think i think this is a fair month to make this argument though because we have halo infinite and has didn't even get fucking co-op like that was a game me and you were excited to play through after playing a bunch of other halo co-ops and we're like i'll fuck it i guess and like they can't even pay someone to finish co-op on halo infinite like where's new maps the support for that game is zero and it's halo yeah so like what's going on it's like all remakes and trying to say a double a games triple a like all of these games none of them are like where is it where's the support i I can't remember i I feel like i said that on the last die shrink we recorded maybe but like i i don't know i just said it to you uh is this feels like at, at this point it feels like microsoft or xbox as a brand is living off the reputation of halo 10 years ago or even closer to 15 years ago now halo 15 years ago and forza because forza is still good mm-hmm. <laughs> like despite I, their best efforts yeah like that's what it feels like they have at this point is forza and hellblade 2 the totally art, coming out the artsy indie game that uh sequel that had a complete plot <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that didn't really have any loose ends at the end of the plot. Yeah. Um but yeah, so I don't know. I th- I th- I agree. I feel like it's they have the step 5 and the step 1 and then they're just like race to step 5 without I just say there's a lot of heart involved when you're Nintendo and if you lose gaming, you're out of business. And when you're Sony and you look it up and I think it's like at least a third of their revenue is gaming. I don't know if it's a plurality, but it is to the point where they're like, we can't lose. (laughs) And so they have to be gamers and care. And there's a lot of trying to take shortcuts and not shortcuts, like not spending the money, but like, can we just solve, can we build a bridge out of dollar bills? It seems to be what they're hoping. And it's like, might I suggest you need to care, you know? (laughs) And as far as what I think they're doing better than Sony and I'll, I'll say <laughs> Nintendo, not to make another backhanded compliment, but they did a really good job convincing the market they're the consumer ally brand over yeah, the Yeah, someone's got to shut Jim Ryan up. Like, I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ, this guy is just like holding controllers, like, you know, just like, look at how I hold my controller while I play the latest God of War. <laughs> yeah, like, like, he can't even say a game besides the last one he saw in a meeting. Yeah, I know. I, I well, what, what do you think Jim Ryan I, I, saw in theaters recently? I'm sure it's the latest Gran Turismo. Like, the way he talks is so what, robotic. And I'm sure he's good at business, but, like, get someone else to talk to the cameras. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I'm waiting for an interview with Jim Ryan where he just pulls up a sheet of paper and I, <laughs> I'm playing The Last of Us Factions. Fuck, that was from that was supposed to be 2026 or whenever that's coming. Whenever out. that's actually coming out, yeah, that was supposed to that was supposed to be a launch PS5 game. People, I'm telling you, oh, it I know. and it's 20. It's gonna be. Is it? It seems like it's gonna be 2024. I mean, pretty obviously, and it's just nuts to me. Yeah. So, um. So yeah, Sony, Sony that needs type their, of thing they could do better. Sony needs a uh, Reggie Philame. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, sure. actually seems enthusiastic about games. Yeah. But, 
Compressed Earthbox writes in again, it says, Tommy Guns, you got me thinking. You reported that Bethesda originally was using the Vulkan API in Starfield and switched over to DirectX 12. Do you know if this was a requirement for them being a Microsoft studio? I ask this because it's a bit of a shame, really, when you have one another one of their studios in software who primarily have used OpenGL and Vulkan for all of their engines and have always gotten fantastic performance and image quality out of them for decades. Will they be forced into direct, to DirectX Hell as well oh i guess i don't know i haven't thought about that um i would guess they won't shove that down their throats but i guess i can't say for sure um because there was something so and this also kind of brings up uh the bethesda coverage i did like behind the scenes which already nobody's talking about it because it's been proven amd wasn't blocking dlss because starfield is fucking getting dlss like i said it would two months ago everybody but you know at the end of the day, it seems like a big issue that happened with the Starfield launch is, as usual, they had tons of bugs. They needed to hire someone, and they had moved, not last minute, but like mid-development, they had switched from like Vulcan and uh, maybe past mid-development, actually. I guess you would say it's late because this is a six-year-made game or something, but like they moved from like Vulcan which is based in Mantle to DirectX 12 and AMD invented Mantle. So, you know, they hired AMD to help them fix that. And this caused tons of issues for everyone's hardware, where it was basically written for AMD from the start. And, you know, at the, in the final stretch, they kind of got it working. But to this day, I mean, even AMD has some issues. Like, that's kind of what went on there. Um, but yeah, th- he's asking, though, you know, I, I don't know that they'll force that with it. And was that part of it? I think so. I think that was part of it because it's it's not just it's not just a game on Xbox. It's now a console exclusive, and I have to think that was part of it. Well, yeah, it was supposed I mean, to be. I'm. It was supposed to be some big savior of Game Pass. That's what I, it was supposed to be. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess the fact that it also is no longer being developed for PS5, although it's not like PS5 uses Vulkan API, but uh, maybe it uses actually something kind of close to it. Oh, does it? Oh, okay. Well, but maybe <laughs> the fact that it's no, was no longer being developed for PS5, and now you have a console, the Series X, which uses DirectX, and it's oh God, being maybe that was under part Microsoft. of it because there's rumors Sony was trying to get it as an exclusive too. Uh, I, I, don't know, I, I could see it making sense why they would migrate it to DirectX as a part of the acquisition by Microsoft. Carrie knows who got writes in. Hi, Tom. Well, NVIDIA's lack of driver optimizations for Starfield is disappointing. I'm happy to report that they have clearly been hard at work on what is clearly the most important game of the year, Cinebench 2024. Oh, (laughs) I guess that's worth mentioning as well is that uh, Cinebench 2024 is coming out and it seems to run hella well on Zen CPUs and NVIDIA. And uh, the 4060 Ti beats a 7900 XTX, which tells you how important Cinebench 2024 is, and how much we should be paying attention to it. The 7900 Guys, good- XTX loses to a 4060 Ti. Why are yeah. we looking at this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will say that too. Like at the end of the day, guys, the best benchmarks are an average of real apps people use, not some canned benchmark a company can just go <laughs> and just program to the metal for it to win. Yeah, I mean, all right, let me see here. Quick Jumper writes in and says, Hello, Tom. What do you think about this article? It seems that the Starfield issue from video might be a bit bigger. 
RDNA seems to be fundamentally more efficient in some scenarios thanks to the cache structure and design. The 490 should win, can only win by being larger. Oh, yeah, I mean, I saw, I don't know where this came from, but I saw some people discussing like maybe RDNA 3 is fundamentally better at running this game. And all I can say is the 4090 has 5% more bandwidth and 36% more teraflops than the 7900 XTX. The XTX does have a higher pixel fill rate, more ROPs. So there's reasons you could average it out a little differently in performance Mm -hmm. in some scenarios. But at the end of the day, think about that. I usually just average like, well, I guess teraflops is hard. It'd have to be a different architecture. But it is funny to note, if you average bandwidth and teraflops, you get to about 20%, which is usually what the 4090 wins by. So I don't know. I, I think even if you play to the 7900 XTX's strengths, I would think after some optimization, the 4090 should at least tie it, if not win by 5 to 10%. Yeah, I, I, I just mean, I just do. And look, guys, the RDNA 3 is not rendering stars in Starfield sometimes. So I do think too many people... All the time get, from what I heard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think people get a little too obsessed with winning if they're a fanboy. Like, I beat it. Did you see this? It beats a 4060. And it's like, yeah, but like... It also that gets even- like... It also gets like... What s- barely gets sixty frames with either of them? Uh, yeah, and with the image quality, the, that's not and not rendering stars. Like I think, guys, yeah. I think the takeaway is this game needs a lot of work in general. I don't think the takeaway is AMD nerfed the competitors' performance because if they did, why is Intel winning in CPU and why can't they render fucking stars? The game. It's a Bethesda Studios game. It needs to be finished. And I imagine both AMD and NVIDIA will get gains, and I'd imagine NVIDIA to get slightly bigger gains on average. At least. As, a, as an apology for uh, for having bad performance, Stars will become a DLSS exclusive <laughs> feature yes. when it comes out. <laughs> All right, let me see here. Balto writes in and says, Hey, Tom and Dan, hope you're doing well. I want to ask, why exactly are game sizes going up? I thought the consoles, especially the PS5, have dedicated I.O. in them to compress and decompress faster, and there's no need to keep redundancy and files due to SSDs, which these two things should allow them to decrease file sizes theoretically. So what gives? Is it them increasing texture resolution and detail that's causing storage to increase still? Well, that's part of it, and games are getting bigger and more complex. Whether you realize it or not, it's hard to see the diminishing returns, but, you know, to go from... A, a, a thousand and twenty-four triangles to two thousand forty-eight is double the performance, even if you can't tell the difference that easily. <laughs> so games are bigger; they're getting more complex. And frankly, am I hiding? I games have gotten smaller and not and stagnated at um, least in size. They, like, I think they've at least stagnated to an extent where I think games are pretty much staying between. 30 at the low end to 100 at the high end for the most part. And thank God they're not ballooning past 100 gigabytes often. You still get the odd one that does, but... Because, yeah, my takeaway on this, Falto, would be... I don't know if you guys remember, but, like, when the 360 generation started, every game was, like, 2 to 5 gigabytes. Some were 6 or 7. And then midway through the generation, you had... 360 needing three dvds to run a game and mgs4 made you reinstall different sections from a 55 gigabyte (laughs) blu-ray and then on ps4 it went to like 60 to 80 gigabytes quite frequently although usually around 40 and now on ps5 oh it's actually gone down slightly and it's like there's plenty of games that are still 30 gigabytes some that are 20 
most I'd say that are AAA are between 60 and 80, but they didn't like quadruple again. And yes, there's some games that are going to be over 100 gigabytes. Don't surprise me. Grand Theft Auto 6 is like 200. And that's always yeah. going to happen. But most games are the same size as the end of last gen, if not a little smaller. And so I do feel like we're seeing the benefits because graphics and complexity does keep going up. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think game devs are that I, I don't think they have we're trying to have you under the impression that game sizes were going to get like half as big on the PS5 versus the PS4. My my takeaway was despite having higher resolution textures and every and bigger, more complicated worlds, the PS5 would have games about the size of a PS4, which has generally been true. Now, like if you look at old like PS4 versions versus PS5 versions of a game, they're often a lot uh, uh, like five or so gigabytes smaller than on the PS5 version. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, continuing down this game development track, let us then move on <laughs> with story number four, the Unity debacle. So I already have some thoughts. I've actually got a quote here from a game dev on it, but... What's going on with Unity, Dan? Uh, so I would say basic summary is last week, early last week, uh, the story moved pretty fast. So I can't remember the exact timeline of events, but like last week or so, they Unity set put out an update saying uh, once a game crosses two hundred thousand sales with in two hundred thousand, like unique interactions are. I can't remember the exact language they used. Uh, it has to cross both thresholds. They're going to start charging a twenty dollar, not twenty dollar, twenty cent per install fee to any game, and that was supposed to be retroactive. Everybody <laughs> got insanely mad, and uh, essentially, what this would have done was somebody could have had a semi-profitable game, or not a semi, could have had like a successful indie game that got two hundred thousand or so sales. That could have gone on sale on steam or something that could have caused an influx of a bunch of sales of uh their game which would have actually ended up putting them into debt because of the way their payment structure worked uh and now they backtracked pretty quickly uh and said our new payment structure is only now for our new 2024 release when it comes out uh also uh the new structure is once the the game has to cross this threshold of a million sales and at at that point we're going to either take 2.5 percent of total gross revenue after a million sales or uh some other amount from a different agreement whichever one is lower so essentially they're going to be capping at 2.5 percent of revenue uh for a uh, game sale for uh, of your gross revenue if your game sells more than a million copies. So they move from something insane to something that I think sounds reasonable. I mean, I'm not a dev, so I don't know what... And they're not doing the retroactive thing? Just make no, sure you... it, okay. they're not doing that anymore, and it's the only thing that their new uh, revenue model applies to is their release of their new 2024 unity thing so they're older versions uh and like unity personal won't apply to any of the any their new payment structure won't apply to any of that 
So they're not about to set, try to saddle uh, a bunch of game de- indie game devs with thousands of dollars of debt, which is pr- possibly what would have happened with their new payment structure. But like, yep, I knew it. Okay, I, it's because I was doing some math where you were talking just to illustrate how absurd this math is. So let's say you're an indie dev and you made a game by yourself. Okay, so let's say you sell 200,000 copies of a game you sell for $5. There's a game me and you like that we played a dozen times with a friend, Lunch Lady, the horror game. Mm-hmm. That, we got, that was a $5 game I think we got on sale. So let's say you sell 200 copies, 200,000 copies on that for $5. But then let's multiply that by 0.5 just for like the Steam cut and some advertising. Uh, okay, now let's retract... $50,000 times three. Like, I'm just assuming, like, you'd hope you make a lot of money back. So you're making 50 grand a year developing the game by yourself. All right. Now you're down to $350,000. So if each one of the people who bought the game downloaded it 40, downloaded it once, that's $40,000 for one install. I have installed Lunch Lady on multiple PCs. You can see how. And this game probably took multiple people. You can see how a simple game instantly they're bankrupt. Yeah. Or if you're a game that, if you're a dev that develops from mobile games, which mobile games are usually free to play, each install would have cost you money that you hope you make up on the back end through ads or microtransactions, I guess. Yeah. So this is, I can kind of see how they do the math and go, well, yeah, so we're charging you 40000 if you made a million. And it's like, yeah, but like, what if half of those games were sold during a Steam sale or some of them were like given away? Like, what? <laughs> I just don't. And wasn't there something like the board sold their shares before they made the change and they knew it would be unpopular and they were just like selling off the corpse of Unity and getting out? Yeah, it, it seems like they're well. They they also had a pa- relatively large layoffs in the past year, so it seems like they're worried that Unity as a business can't continue, uh, which is why they tried to do this insane new scheme. Which I mean, if they need to, if they need to up the amount that they charge for, like you to have a enterprise version of Unity, which I, I think you can subscribe to to get more tools or if you need or if they need to take more of your revenue eh, maybe that's understandable if they to remain afloat but you can't just say hey you guys now owe us every time somebody installs one of your games because that's an insane revenue model i mean uh that's an insane business model that there's no way that could work so Pessimistin writes in and says, Hi, Tom. What are your thoughts on Unity and now starting to charge their users, game devs and indie devs, per end-user install? Well, they backtracked on the game on top of the other fees and charges Unity takes for their services. Is the economy within the engine sector so tight that one needs such measures to stay afloat, or is Unity being greedy? I mean, they're being greedy. I mean, even if they need more money, there's way more intelligent ways they could have gone about it, I think. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts. So... I just asked a few developers, and they all say bad things, but there's one that usually tells me I can quote him if I want to, Brian Heemskirk, who also has a lot of friends in game development at larger studios, and he talks with them. And I asked him, uh, point blank, is this going to kill Unity? And he said, yes. 
<laughs> and he said, it's going to make dev, I'm quoting directly here. It's going to make devs adverse to using it. I've heard publishers recommending that devs change engines and games early in development. Devs three to four years into their games don't have a choice, but they're going to stick with it for now. If you're in Unity and you've invested your own tools, I guess you don't really have a choice. Uh, but Unreal does have more functioning tools outright. So Unreal asks for more of your game profits, but they give you a lot. Unity feels less like that because devs who work in Unity feel like they've invested themselves in their custom tech. Unity can't get away with asking the same percentage of revenue because let's be honest, they're not offering you the tools Unreal does. And it's insane they wanted to charge even a remotely similar amount. So yeah, I mean, directly, he just like point blank, this is going to kill Unity. And yeah. Every developer I've ever talked about it is like the fact that you would switch engines halfway through making a game is nuts, by the way, like what that would cost someone like basically only finished games are going to not do it. I, I think it's done. Yeah, we'll see how it develops over the next year or so. But yeah, I, I don't know how you can tr- try to pull something like that without completely damaging your trust with your uh, user base, even if you backtracked immediately on it, like the fact that they would threaten that is, I, I I don't know why you would stay on them if you have an if you have an alternate to get away from Unity at that point. Mm-hmm. King Harkinian writes in between Unity reaching the end of its rope and having to massively tighten the financial pressure on its users, Microsoft more or less publicly admitting that they can only sustain their business through a forced monopoly, as well as many other signs. Activision making one-fifth of the five games at the same time and finishing none. Many studios relying more and more on super sampling. Well, I don't know if it's the same bucket, but games not using nearly the same amount of RT that they theoretically could. We're finally reaching the games industry bubble explosion. Will gaming in the next two to five years just worse until everyone quietly accepts the monstrous growth has reached its limits and that a more sustainable business models need to start to be developed because this industry just isn't going to double in value every year anymore. Uh, well, there's got to be some of that. But. Yeah, to an extent. And I, I think some some devs com- can command like a higher price, longer dev times and super huge bloated budgets because those are the games they make and they're really good but not everybody can do that not everybody can command the attention or the money that like rockstar does because there's not many devs that are as good as rockstar Mm -hmm. (laughs) and yeah at a certain point like ub the ubisoft studios that uh are you know assassin's creed factories like yeah maybe some of those will have to tighten their shoestrings a little bit Mm -hmm. yeah i think so i mean there's clearly something here where there's a lot of consolidation there's a lot you see this crazy shit like callisto protocol they're like we only sold three or million or more copies and now we're like the guy who created it's leaving it's like that's not successful if that's true then I, I, yeah, I think that I think there's a lot of soul searching this industry is about to do where they're like, does every game need to be this big? Does every game need to cost this much? Do we really need to have this be the way we yeah. make our money back? Yeah, it, it, it's like I'm trying to think like if a movie like uh, like Avatar 2 has the insane budget that it did and then the rest of like the movie industry mark it took it as a sign well that means we can all have like 600 million dollar movies and it's like no this is a james yeah. cameron movie james cameron movies 
apparently always break the world record for box office. That doesn't right. Mean. That's why. And again, the, the comparison, although I certainly like these games much more than Avatar, but like Grand Theft yeah. Auto, it's like, well, yeah, but Grand Theft Auto 5 is the best-selling game in history, minus like Minecraft. So yes, it's allowed to have like whatever that insane budget was over a decade ago of like half a billion, they estimate, which at the time was outrageous. And it's like, yeah, but it, some like, I don't know, a hundred million copies, something absolutely insane. Like, and they, they always pull it off, you know? So that's why Rockstar gets the budget they get, but you're not, you're not all Rockstar. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, can't all be rock stars. What an aptly named studio eventually. Um, all right. Let us finally move on from game development uh, back to more of the typical stuff we talk about with story number, I think this is five, right? Yeah, story number five. Getting out and enjoying the weather, or is it too hot to get outside? Well, either way, whether you're looking for an easy meal on the go or something quick and delicious while you're cooped up inside, Vite Ramen has you covered. This piece of content is brought to you by Vite Ramen. Vite Ramen is a healthy, tasty, and shelf-stable food crafted by an American startup that offers tons of options for eating healthy. Their classic packages make it easy to add protein and other ingredients of your choice, including new flavors like Radiant Crab Ryu. And also, their Ramen Go packages offer a healthy microwavable option for those who truly only have a 15-minute lunch break away from home. Or they even have other healthy products like Nano Boost Powder that makes any food at least a little healthy. Click on the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to save 10% on a variety of products, including special bundles for Moore's Law Z fans, raw nudes if you want to make up your own recipes, and other food products, powders, cooking utensils, and more. They are a plucky, small, but rapidly growing company that has been good to Moore's Law Z for years. So, you know, supporting them helps support me, and even just clicking on the link below makes a big difference for Moore's Law Z. But I really do like their products, and I recommend you try them as well. So check out Vite Ramen today. Really? Couldn't keep the glasses on for more than a minute? DLSS 3.5 tested. And I'll get your thoughts on it, Dan. I know you did a lot more research than I had time to, but I'm going to read from Tim's review at TechSpot. Ray tracing effects in today's games are noisy because running these effects at a higher quality level would cripple current graphics cards. To find and remove this image noise, developers implement denoising filters, which do help this noise, but come with a host of other issues like ghosting, lower level of detail, and various inaccuracies. Ray reconstruction replaces the game's denoiser with a DLSS AI-enhanced denoiser that promises greater quality and fewer artifacts than standard denoisers. It achieves this by combining the upscaling and denoising passes into one algorithm, effectively replacing DLSS super resolution with a combined DLSS ray reconstruction and super resolution algorithm. Like existing DLSS techniques, it requires game engine inputs as seen in the as seen in a diagram on the review. DLSS 3.5 reconstruction is trained to not only provide upscaling reconstruction from a lower pixel count image, but ray tracing effects reconstructed from lower ray counts too. So how does ray reconstruction impact the visual quality of Cyberpunk 2077's path tracing mode? Well, the reconstructed image is sharper and clearer, but stationary and in motion, both stationary and in motion. On top of improved noise reduction, ray reconstruction provided more accurate car headlights and reduced smearing, ghosting, and blur. Global illumination and ambient occlusion are also improved through ray reconstruction. Ambient occlusion improvements are subtle, though various scenes do look different with ray reconstruction on. 
Unfortunately, though, ray reconstruction doesn't always look better when enabled. The technology struggles with some specific types of reflections, usually when it's a semi-reflective and not a shiny surface with texturing. It's always been an issue for DLSS and ray tracing. And when we add motion to the mix, the ray reconstruction image also has worse ghosting and stability. It seems to be the case where the ray reconstruction algorithm isn't quite sure whether what it's seeing is a reflection or not and ends up handling both the reflection and texture applied to the surface poorly. We had to put some numbers to it. We would say that ray reconstruction improves image quality about 60% of the time. And around 20% of the time, there's no impact. Around 20% of the time, there's unfortunately a regression. However, NVIDIA does have a proven track record of improving DLSS over time through updates. We've seen that with super resolution frame generation. NVIDIA has acknowledged there are certain scenarios where ray reconstruction would benefit from additional training. So we'll be keeping an eye out for improvements over time. Although overall, at present, ray reconstruction is not really a selling point to buy a GeForce GPU. Game support, even in upcoming titles, is incredibly limited. And NVIDIA has plenty to work on to improve the feature so that it doesn't feel like a slight uplift anyways. But AMD and Intel should be working on a competing technology right away because neither will want to fall behind in ray tracing image quality over time if ray reconstruction takes hold across a number of games. AMD in particular shouldn't want to be the brand where not only does it have ray tracing performance worse on their products but also at those lower frame rates the image looks worse as well so i thought that was a good summary from tim at hardware unboxed slash tech spot friend of the show dan what do you think of dlss 3.5 i know you looked at other reviews as well uh, i <laughs> i mean from what i can see it, it, it it's ultimately a mixed bag like tim said at a uh, tech spot where Ray, ray reconstruction in some places it seems like it substantially increases vi visual quality it's like from what i saw some genuinely pretty impressive looking reflections like uh, on glass um an interesting thing they noted in the tech spot review slash uh, hardware unboxed review is it seems like uh as they got further away the uh, ray reconstruction got worse for reflections and as you got closer the reflections got better looking over time this um typical but yeah but i could see why that would happen even versus, more so with how this is doing it versus the other uh denoising technology without rake and reconstruction though yeah. uh but overall it, it, like when it works well it seems to boost the <laughs> reflections absurdly well to the point where it's like yeah yeah i i, I i see the future of what ray tracing could look like even if i think this is in a lot of ways, just a beta test for what it will be in the future. Uh, because when you're looking at it, there's also a bunch of ghosting of reflections that mm. add some other, other ghosting problems, it seems. So it's a, a pretty mixed bag. I mean, if you're judging it from what things looked like before ray tracing at all, eh, I think even with the artifacts, it still probably looks better. But... <sighs> The ghosting like that you get on some guns with like DLSS or FSR, whatever technology you want to look at, it does need to be improved. And that doesn't seem to be a thing rake reconstruction addresses at all and makes worse to some extent uh, in some applications. And then when you look at performance of ray reconstruction, I mean, it's the cyberpunk path trace version. So the performance isn't anything to write home about. Uh, and I think that's mm. ultimately what kills it as a feature is it's like, yeah, you have these really beautiful reflections with 
some visual drawbacks. Uh, and you're also getting it at like 60. <laughs> no, you're getting it at, at 40 frames per second in quality mode on a 4090, which mm. as a feature almost makes it a non-starter because I don't think many people using a 4090 want to be playing at 40 frames per second. No, and that's something Tim talked about a lot. Like, we shouldn't need full path tracing to try this out. Why can't we make our that's a, that partial ray tracing look better outside of this? And he, I, I saw that Tim also said it does feel like this was, like, rushed out. Like, it's not done. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's almost like they rushed this out after FSR 3 was announced. Well, yeah, because in their review, they also discussed, like, you can't use it with, um, with DLAA either. So you have to do upscaling oh. to do it, to use it, which is really weird to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, this just feels like a beta test for ray reconstruction, which I think in its best applications, ray reconstruction is going to just make your image quality look better without hurting performance, really. But that's that's ultimately what it does is it doesn't seem to really provide a big boost in performance or or anything so this is just we're increasing the visual quality of dlss again no performance hit though (laughs) so that that is cool and i look forward to seeing it in not full path trace cyberpunk because Full path trace cyberpunk kind of just seems to be an advertising vehicle for visual quality that nobody actually uses. Because if you're you're getting 40 frames per second or 43 on a 4090, what are you getting if you try to use ray reconstruction on a 3060, which you can use uh, yeah. this for? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah, it, they rushed it out to show they're a generation ahead of amd yeah like if they didn't have competition i don't think this really would have been why why i mean they're already ahead like of everything like i think they would have waited till next year to like say hey it's launching in 10 games and we've been working with studios or they'd announce it's coming and not force it into a game before it's really done i mean think about how bad that is like okay so 20 percent of the time it looks worse 20% 20% of the time, there's no increase. So you'd say there's like a net what benefit if you average that out, like a 20% benefit and you can't get a good frame rate. It's it's not really something to write home about. It, it's just trying to market, a, you know. It, it, it's a tech demo. Uh, or <laughs> It's an alpha or beta test for DLSS 4.0, which they put out early because Cyberpunk has become a very very long long-standing advertising partner i guess it, it seems for nvidia uh where it kind of seems like the testing ground for all of their new technologies uh that they mm. show off and uh you know amd had fsr3 that they talked about and they needed something to deflate the, the hype of that a bit a bit and this was the best they had right now and yeah if this would have came out four months from now uh as a fully cooked feature with like cyberpunk you can use it in dla a not full path trace and like look at how awesome these reflections look and it's getting 100 frames per second i think that would have been a, a and then they actually had like 10 triple a games announced with it yeah. coming too I, I think that would have been a lot better unveiling of ray reconstruction but 
this is what yeah, we have you now. almost think like they should have just <laughs> announced it and then not had it come out until January anyways or something, because it's not like FSR is three is really it, out yet. It, it is a weird thing where this, this kind of feels like, uh, you know how they update FSR or not FSR. They update DLSS where they get the full upgrade that they make a big hub of about. And then you get like DLSS 3.1 or DLSS 2.2 or whatever. It feels like a decimal upgrade to DLSS that they're trying to elevate into the thing after DLSS three, which it's it's not it's not an increase it's not like a new feature like frame gen like they seem to try to be advertising it as it's just an iterative update of DLSS it feels like mm-hmm. yeah I, I I would agree but you know I actually want to pivot the conversation forward to something that I leaked I think a week or two ago. Uh, it was certainly for this news cycle, but I didn't make it its own story because I'm like, let's just combine it with this. But, you know, I asked about the future of DLSS to a couple of contacts at NVIDIA, and one of them let me direct quote them. Uh, but basically, this is, it's funny, you said this is a beta or al- alpha, really, for DLSS 4.0. I think it is. Like, mm-hmm. I asked, like, is the next step going to use asynchronous time warp? People at NVIDIA were like, eh, we're looking into it, maybe eventually. But really, the next gen, maybe that'll be DLSS 5.0, which aims to really fix latency issues for good. 4.0 is about massively upping image quality to the point that you're an idiot if you don't turn it on. It's not just debatable if it's better than native. They want it to be obvious, and they know they need it because DLSS, the way the rendering pipeline works and like where latency comes in, like with ray tracing, you really should have DLSS. Okay. Well, then why don't we make it so DLSS also makes ray tracing look better so that no one won't want ray tracing with DLSS on in a game. And when AMD catches up to us in frame generation, we're just like, our image quality is so much better, it's a joke. Then yeah. we can fix latency. I think they also think they may have a slight latency win over AMD with FSR 3, by the way. I've heard some people suggest. But what do you think about that? Like the future of DLSS really aiming for notably better than native and even i honestly i've had some amd people message me too this might become another video eventually but like they're all looking for using machine learning for all different types of things in the rendering pipeline at amd and nvidia right now and i think nvidia wants that image quality win again Uh, i i mean i think they generally have performance on lock and uh, if they can sell dlss as better than native resolution with 60% more performance, the naysayers that are like, well, it's not native, just look really stupid. And and that's ultimately, I think, what makes DLSS the killer feature is when it becomes just completely undeniable, which I think it's already close to there anyways, but yeah, eh. <laughs> that's what will really sell it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's... I think for some reason, me and you expected there would be some other thing, you know, that they would be working on. And it's just, no, it's not more of the fake frames. We think the fake frames look good enough. It's about <laughs> making them look, or, or, and it's not even about latency. We think it, they think it's good enough. It's about un, you know, questionable winning in the image quality game because mm-hmm. they still think it's kind of up for debate. And I don't think they like that. Um, Compressor Earthbox writes in and it says, Tom and Dan. What do you think of NVIDIA saying native resolution gaming is effectively dead? I'll link to the article below. It also includes a digital foundry video on this in the article, but they have a point, right? 
upscaling, especially if we're talking anything greater than 1440p, is generally as good as native, game-dependent, obviously. Now, if the entire industry adopted this mentality, do you think it'd put AMD at a disadvantage? Yes. Certainly, they hit more devices with FSR, and it doesn't look bad at 4K. EOS is just better, though, and it seems to have even better ray tracing image quality now, too. This is another thing they will use against AMD for marketing. Yes. Uh, well, so, obviously, all of this helps NVIDIA. So we'll just leave that at that. But, you know, is native gaming effectively dead? I think so. I've been saying since late 2021 or even mid 2021, hey, it's starting to get to the point where like, this is here to stay, guys. Like you keep poo-pooing DLSS and FSR. It's, and I was very critical of it in 2018 when Turing launched because it was garbage. But it's... Uh, they, you know, I start. I started to say this is something to watch in 2021, and I'm, I'm saying it. I, I think so. I think you got to turn on DLSS if you can in almost every game. Obviously, if there's an issue, that's a different consideration. And I think even FSR, I usually turn on if it has it as an option too. Yeah, I, I, I mean, listen, they're both features <laughs> that you can adjust in in settings if it improves your experience of the game which i think it does in most games they're in turn it on i i I don't know why this needs to be a big controversial thing that the input image is lower resolution like yeah if they're able to do that and it still looks good i don't really know why you care i know um but i think that's just a vocal minority it's becoming accepted at this point yeah um which again like tim said a hardware unboxed amd Get it together. <laughs> you do not want Blackwell launching with a new generation of DLSS that's image quality just makes it by default two tiers better. <laughs> you cannot let that happen. Um, Resident Mexican writes in and says, Hello, Tom. With all the talk about graphical fidelity to performance ratio debates going on, one thing stands out, or actually it doesn't because it's never really talked about. Why don't people mention draw distances and texture pop in? When talking about graphical fidelity of a game, I feel like some people say that games don't don't get better than years gone by, but neglect to mention that some of these games have higher draw distances, the textures in the distance that look terrible after walking 10 feet away from them. It's definitely true. People forget that close-up games look similar to last gen, but in the distance is not close. Yeah. Like draw distance is God on 360 and PS3, especially PS3 because of the RAM issues in some games like is distant objects look so bad but just to be honest the most jarring thing in visuals is having a great looking texture suddenly go to a smeary mess not that far from the camera we should buy a 3070 if you like that or having objects literally disappear from the screen only to reappear when you happen to walk closer to it i hate that and it happens still and it's crazy to me i feel that is something that should be talked about more often what do you think yeah yeah i mean i think draw distance is a huge issue that just next gen they gotta stop this nonsense yeah, draw distances and popping in general are really annoying. <laughs> like, especially, like, I'm trying to think of a game we play where this is really an issue. It's not really, like, and me and you play Battlefield 2042, I think, basically maxed out. But, like, even then, sometimes, sometimes in the distance, you can see a bush start to appear, and it's like, then render less bushes and stop making them pop in. <laughs> yeah, you know, know. like, it just sucks. Um, I remember actually playing Oblivion on my laptop. I mean, what, like a decade ago, over a decade ago, actually. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, cause it was before Skyrim came out and, uh, <laughs> there was like, 
a graphical setting on my weak laptop for making grass actually appear, not just the texture on the ground. And I thought it looked so terrible that I turned it off because I was just walking through a field and I could just see the hills of no grass. (laughs) And then I turned it off and I was like, whoa, I double my frame rates and it looks better. That's so weird. I don't know. (laughs) I just thought that I'm sure you remember all those old games where that was a thing. Yeah. All right. Let us now move on, though, to the final story of today with story number six. Apple A17 Pro SoC announced in detail. So I'm just going to quote from Wikipedia, and I know you did more research on this than me on this one as well. The Apple A17 Pro features an Apple-designed 64-bit six-core CPU with two high-performance cores running at 3.78 gigahertz and four energy-efficient cores running at 2.11 gigahertz. Apple has claimed that the new high-performance cores are 10% faster due to its improved branch prediction and wider decode and execution units, and the new energy-efficient cores are faster and three times more efficient than the competition. The A17 Pro integrates a new Apple-designed six-core GPU, which Apple claims is 20% faster. Then their biggest redesign in the history of Apple GPUs with added hardware accelerated ray tracing and mesh shading support. The 16-core neural engine is now capable of 35 trillion operations per second. The A17 Pro also added support for AV1 decoding, USB 3.2 Gen 2. The A17 Pro contains 19 billion transistors. Okay, so that's like, I think, a third, I want to say, of what's in the uh, 7900XDX or something. A 90% increase from the A17's transistor count of 16 billion and is fabricated by TSMC on their 3 nanometer N3B process. All right. Just said the facts of what they've claimed. I've seen a lot of people saying this thing sucks. Does it suck, Dan? Uh, I mean, it's hard to say. I think more official reviews need to come out because as far as I can tell right now, we, we just have like, you know, the a couple reviews or early reviews that have come out of China uh, so far. Um, and they got uh, a few of them got interesting results. One review found up found that the A17 is straight up less efficient than the A16, which is bad, <laughs> obviously, mm-hmm. especially that it's on a new process. And then another uh, tester played uh, Genshin Impact on their uh, I- on the iPhone 15 Pro, so using the new A17 SoC. Uh, and he found that it was getting a, an external temperature of 48 degrees Celsius, which is like uh, like 120 degrees Fahrenheit almost, mm-hmm. um, and which is really hot. External, and, Jesus. Yeah, and he found that it used f- 4% less energy than the A16 SoC and was only getting like 3% more I mean, three more frames per second, so like 5% stronger. So there's not really a big performance per watt uplift really at all from their previous. And then that other review found that it actually had worse battery life despite having a slightly larger battery than the iPhone 14 Pro. So Early data ain't good. And I also think that this is wrapped up in the fact that this seems to be one of the most bungled Apple launches in a while Hmm. where this isn't related to the A17. uh, The iPhone 15 has their old SoC in it, uh, and that only has USB 2.0 for their connector. 
uh, because uh, they moved to USB-C. So I guess it, their old SOC wasn't able to use more than USB 2.0. And Oh my God. Well, the iPhone 15 Pro has USB 3.0 uh, because they added AV1 support. Guess what the box doesn't come with, Tom? USB-C? It co- does not come with a USB-C 3.0 uh, cable. It comes with a 2.0 cable. <laughs> Jesus Christ. They're, I'm not sure how expensive this is. I think $1,500 right there. <laughs> oh, my God. They, 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 they couldn't bother to have two different cords. Yeah. They, or just they, give everyone 3.0. I mean, that'd probably be the th- way to go. Oh, sorry. The, the 15 Pro is only $1,000. For their $1,000 device, starts at $1,000. For their starting at $1,000 device, they could not put in the $18 charger as opposed to the $13 charger. <laughs> See, when you say stuff like that, what this tells me personally is just something's going on with decision-making at Apple. This isn't just the design. They fucked up this launch. Yeah, and it's real. Like, this is the type of stuff... I know people will shit on Apple in this podcast. I, I've, I've read the comments before where I've defended Apple, and they're like, "We Can't both defended Apple from time to time." Apple, and it's like, well, they're a company that generally makes good products. I think this is the type of thing that Apple generally doesn't mess up, and they this really piss people bad. off with this one. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know that I have anything else to add to this. This just sounds. This just sounds bad. I mean, I I think they're going to try to rush out a follow up as soon as po- possible. That's what's going to happen they usually, here. They usually do this, uh, do a yearly release cycle. So I'll say if they're just stuck with a product that nobody likes that much, <laughs> I still just can't help but feel this one is like a placeholder while they're trying to get something working. That is honestly yeah, may- my my suspicion. Well, because it did seem to happen relatively quickly. Like it it it, it seems like they added the USB C things relatively quickly because I I do think I don't think the USB two point and the base iPhone fifteen is an intentional thing. I, I think it's mm-hmm. just like well, this is the SOC we're using with it, and it that doesn't support USB three so. Our options would be quickly redesign and use our new, more expensive SOC or stick with the plan and just have something that can't do fast charging or can all anything. Yeah, really I mean, <laughs> that, moving files. I've had been using USB 3.0 flash drives for many, many, many years, and I still upgrade every few years so that I when we're going on vacation, if I need to bring a laptop with me, I'll just plug like a 3.1 drive into my desktop and just rip like 100 gigabytes in 10 minutes and get out of there yeah i I mean i guess uh apple what this shows is apple really didn't want to uh commit to those new eu standards (laughs) right yeah i would agree qh freddy writes in while apple wowed everybody with the m1 is it reasonable to expect them to continue on the same trajectory with every new generation intel had obviously stagnated for a while by then and is still struggling to find levers to pull for more performance outside of more power consumption amd doesn't appear to be getting as huge micro architectural uplifts anymore and as many resorted to pulling the scalar lever when apple with the m1 went all in on the efficiency optimization on a leading edge note rather than trying to push high end in the performance envelope although as far as we can tell the efficiency doesn't seem that much better 
Because I feel like with the state of the new nodes, any revolutionary performance is going to come off of the back of figuring out new levers to pull. Right, and AMD has the Vcash and all these other levers they've left on the table. I don't know. My my To answer the real question here, no, I, I don't think it's reasonable to expect them to magically get twice as fast every year just because they're Apple. And I think they looked really good. It's becoming obvious now compared to Intel because Intel stagnated. Yeah, I, I mean, the M1 was a really impressive CPU, or not CPU, SOC that they put out. Uh, and it was the first one that they ever put out, so it was bound to generate a lot of buzz. And hey, now a- Apple is in the rat race with the rest of the companies. They're releasing their new SOCs every year, and they're going to start looking like every other company where every year is incrementally better. That Sometimes that will mean, uh, actually I should say, over several years things get incrementally better. That means some launches will be duds like this one's turning out to be and some launches are going to be really impressive going forward like the mm-hmm. m2 i don't think was disappointing but it wasn't it was there was a, I, I would say a typical soc or cpu launch and i think that's what you should expect coming out of apple mm-hmm. okay let us now move on to the final wrap-up so these are the final stories that uh we uh, didn't feel required a full discussion, but are still worth mentioning. Uh, Igor's Labs has renders of the LGA 1851 uh, socket, which I don't, again, doesn't need to be a full story. Don't have much to say, but you know, I talk to Igor every now and then and we get along. So I thought this would be worth pointing out as it is interesting to see. Um, also, we have i9-14900KF benchmarks showing it 3.5% faster than the KS and 6% faster than the K in single-threading performance here in Passmark. Sounds about right to me. Yep, you know? Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, a reminder, too, uh, that I leaked <laughs> Twin Lake, which is the successor to Alder Lake N. It's just Alder Lake N Plus that they plan to sell through 2025 for some reason. So I almost put that in the title of the video a couple weeks ago um because it was one of the main stories but it was like a two-minute story and i'm like i don't think anyone's clicking on this for twin lake (laughs) over 4070 bethesda and the 7600 xd um also intel just got hit by an antitrust violation fine again they keep appealing this in the eu seems like it's a smaller fine than it was before but if anyone think i i they keep trying to make this go away i think they're just gonna have to pay this money out yeah. The problem, though, is this is the worst time. They should have just paid it out when they had the money. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got news that Valve isn't rushing out the next Steam Deck. I also know a couple of people that speak with people at Valve as well. And I I, I hear the Steam Deck 2 is going to be incredible. But yeah, they're not taking it lightly. I, I don't okay, have that, anything else to say besides that, but I, they're not done. Okay, that I mean, that makes me they're happy to hear. Like, the thing that always worries me with valve is they seem to be a very very uh <laughs> disorganized company in a lot of ways so it wouldn't surprise me if the steam deck just disappeared because they're like well if we did it once we're done doing that now yeah so i guess yeah let me say that again they're not rushing it out but i think they're gonna take this as seriously as a full console launch now that they've got something here and they know they got something That's and good. and uh yeah be excited, but yeah, it might come out in two years. And I think what they want is something that is just the next generation better in every way. 
And, you know, someone also told me this week, they have a lot of things in their labs they never had come out. You should mm-hmm. see some of the things they've tried to make. Some of them are really cool. Some of them are hilarious. They ever thought it would work. Uh, and I think they're going through rounds of ideas right now until they think they have the next concept nailed. Um, and then the final thing I have here is uh, just a reminder. The 7612 gigabyte is not a thing. That was a main story in that video that we talked about with the Bethesda stuff, the 4070 price drops. Because it's a non-product, I thought doesn't need to be a story. Would I just go, it doesn't exist? That's the story. But um, <laughs> I just thought everyone should know that. Um, it's not that there can't be a 7600 XT. It's just that that 1210 gigabyte thing, it does not mean it's a real product. Mm. Um, and QH Freddy writes in about it, though, and says, could a 12 gigabyte 7600 XT hypothetically just be a clock bump 7600, the higher TDP, but three gigabyte memory dies instead of two gigabyte? Are three gigabyte GDDR6 dies out there somewhere or has the development of that fizzled out? Well, on that, I, I, I hear most companies aren't going to move to the fastest GDDR6. They're more likely to try to rush to GDDR7 next year. I, for, I mean, just for a multitude of reasons. But honestly, QH Freddy, if there were three gigabyte GDDR6 dies out there right now, uh, that, it could be kind of cool. I mean, you could see them using 20 gigabit per second memory. So that's, I believe, over 10% faster, pushing the clocks to 2.8 gigahertz at like a 20% higher TDP. Yeah, I mean, that could be a cool 12 gigabyte card that's 15% stronger, probably just below a 4060 Ti in performance. They could sell for 330. But I don't know that those dies are out there. And I'm going to be honest, wouldn't it just be easier to make a 20 gigabit per second, 16 gigabyte card, even if it looks goofy next to the 7700 XT? Yeah. You sell that probably could, for 350, it'd be the same performance. Yeah, if they could, if they could push the clock speeds a bit. Maybe it would work. <laughs> like, I just, well, but it, it uses relatively slower RAM. I mean, just give it faster RAM, double the capacity, mm-hmm. charge an extra 70 bucks or something, and there's your 4060 Ti killer. You know, um, I think that'd be a lot easier than trying to use this new RAM, waiting for it or doing something else. Um, all right. Florida man writes in and he says, years ago, you made a chart with estimations of future die sizes of NVIDIA and AMD flagship graphics cards with TDP and how the sizes would eventually start shrinking. Since TSM, wait, let me look at this. So this was a while ago that I made this. Yeah, and I basically suggested, oh, that's funny. I basically, that's funny. I suggested that the RTX 4000 series would be smaller than the 5000 die and they just start going towards 400 millimeters squared. I don't even remember half the arguments I made in this. This is crazy. <laughs> you have to be honest, half of the nodes on here have changed, uh, yeah, by the now. way. Like, they've changed three nanometers, different nodes now. So just remember, this would have been made on information that's different now. So, <laughs> but um, what sort of TDP would you be looking at for a flagship card, though, that is 400 millimeters squared on, say, a two nanometer node? Do you think they would be going higher or lower? And my answer is higher. I mean, simply because the nodes are getting more expensive anyways. And so if you have a 5080 on a three nanometer node, for example, that's 400 millimeters squared, kind of like similar die size to the 4080. I don't know why you wouldn't push that to 400 watts to make up for how much more expensive the silicon is. Like, and it probably, you know, you have to remember this too. The density increases at TSMC nodes are disproportionately higher than the 
clock speed and efficiency gains. So think about it. If you can gain like 10% more efficiency or 20% higher clock speeds or double the density, you're going to go for density, but that's still that many more transistors that are only 10% more efficient. This thing's going to use a ton of energy in a smaller die size. So there are things you can do to get a higher efficiency. It's not 10% efficiency increase. It'd be better than that. But, you know, I think with how much more expensive the nodes are, they're just more likely to make the 5080 400 millimeter squared die that's 3.2 gigahertz at 400 watts, but has (laughs) 50% more transistors than the 4080 or something, you know? Yeah. Um, which you already see this. AMD did that with the 6500 XT. They tried to make it a replacement for the 5500 XT despite having like a 33% smaller die size. And it's because, well, the node costs twice as much or something. Like th- that's what they're going to go for. Um, Carbon Cry writes in Look, Intel has allied with evil AMD to deprive real gamers of the totally completely peerless DLSS feature. When will NVIDIA stop being bullied by their heinous and despicable foes? And he's referencing a story everyone instantly ran with about how some Assassin's Creed was going to have only a Z super <sighs> sampling. And I told you I was told it was bullshit by someone at, I think, yeah, Ubisoft. And now the tweet is deleted. Mm. I wonder why that is. Maybe wonder- this reporter actually fucking emailed Ubisoft and asked if that's true. Because someone told me if you just email them, they would have told you this isn't true. So, or, like, you're writing articles without even asking for a quote from the company. Or maybe this is Intel backing down within a day, Tom. Oh, yes, that must be what it is. It's definitely not that these reporters are wrong. AMD and Intel must have backed down by have after they have more money than NVIDIA to buy developers. That's yeah. smart. Yeah. <laughs> That's definitely more likely because <laughs> of all of this money Intel and AMD have right now to outspend NVIDIA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Well, I did definitely want to make sure we got to that question, but I think on that note, we will end this episode as I am falling asleep as it is in the middle of the night, as often happens. But damn, I want to thank you for coming on here and staying on so late. Yeah. Well, you're in my house, so I mean, yeah, you know, I did say you're going to be sleeping on the street if you didn't record with me. You did say that, and you already kicked out my dog, so. And I already kicked out your dog, and it was weird that I did that, because you were already getting ready to record, and I said, but it's always better if they're scared. Yeah. She's definitely very scared, Tom, sleeping right next to me currently. But joking aside, thank you for watching or listening to this episode. Remember, subscribe to Moore's Law is Dead on the YouTube channel. Ring the bell button. Tell your friends about us. Support us on Patreon. New Die Shrink just came out. Actually, the last two Die Shrinks have been absolute bangers. I don't think we've ever put out a horrible one in the past. Actually, I think our Die Shrinks have always been pretty good, even from the beginning. Yeah. Um, but the last two people have said have been really good. Remember, $2 a month gets you access to that. We're recording in the middle of the night because I wanted to get ahead of the bad rumors again this time with the Intel Meteor like desktop stuff. And that's me spending a Sunday night working till we are working till 2 a.m. to get this all done for you guys. So please, can a tuna a month gets you die shrink, you know, with no ads and the discord and the ability to ask us questions. And there's so many other tiers. You have the extra money to give us a coffee every month instead of a can of tuna. It is appreciated. Uh, actually less than a cup of coffee it's four dollars a month for the most popular tier uh but no matter what thank you everybody for listening and have a good week goodbye
This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Carrie Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawisdead.com on the about slash support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gerard for audio work, hire Jean-Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or Kerry No Sugata as well. You can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Laws Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content truly possible. Every month and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John Philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong. We love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guests questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and loose ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law is Dead podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey... If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Law is Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it. the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Foles, Jits, Daniel D, Christopher Ricks, Aaron Close, Jan Rano, Daniel High, Jeezy Ziggy, Brian Rickleman, MJV1, Sam Miller, Deke, SNES Chalmers, Jeb Ferriera, Malcolm Oleb, Nicholas Buckner, Andrew S, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Gregory S. Acker, Sarcastro, Evan Dingle, Greg Wanchek, Chris Rich, 3DS Boy 08, Hal Booma, Hardforum.com, Compressed Earthblocks, Shredbird, Dr. Foreman, Benjamin Cannon, Jonathan Blake, Franco Frederick, Dake223, Jake Martin, Holden Moldy, Zlicky, Christopher A. Butler, Sammy Malas, Stephen Hart, Meat and Pork, Tim Robb, Jordan Simkovic, 
Ian Clifford, Travis Gooding, Julian League, The Paws Haas, Nanyang, Deepest Learners, Stefan, Mad, Zutsu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Greg, Patrick Crow, Amiable Chief, Tommy, Mark Mitchell, Roger Davies, I Should, Mark Raidmaker, Cameron, James Anderson, Cole Attic, Judson N, Cameron, Red Sea Sager, Henry Chang, Michelle Pell, D31337, Antics, Chrysantine, The Eternal Dreamers, Nathan Zink, Exapua, Reginald Ari, Dick Autumn, Jackson Miller, GSMMH, Colin Tadards, Game and Sense Reagan, Jeff Settler, Loophole 35, Winstar, James I, Raider, Corey Leonard, Little Germany, Shea, Pulse Media, Dave Schultz, Melodic Warrior, Mac Daffy, Stephen Dick, Chuck Glidden, Brett Jones, Austin Haggerty, Justin Bustle, I7 11700K, Joe Foote, Toka, Hardland, Slush Boss, C2, Jamie Whitworth, Jansen Angima, Joseph Kelly, David Sebastian, Samuel Park, Earth Taurus, Keith Moore, Himsa Gung, Tails, 2299, Me, Val Verga, John, Sisyphos, Fenty CZ, The Forbidden Juice, Perlichtman, RB Racer, AC, Lord Starstream, Michael Cozy, Dr. J. Mann, Alex Vega, Free D, Brian Wright, John Swin, Roden BC, Win Wang, Jola Martina, Kikum, Elbergun, Solarized 80, Trevor Renfro, Yeti, Thalo215, Matthew Marlow, Raisin Biscuit, Jeff Johnson, and of course, thank you to all for listening and thank you to Sahara for the music.